1: Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. This is big week 107 of this? Yeah. Excellent project. Um, Yeah.
2: If you're listening to the feed and you're not a Twitter follower and you wonder why there are two Star Trek episodes in a row, uh, computer shenanigans are year-long mailbag recap. (laughs)
1: It was the biggest mailbag ever. The mail was outstanding. Everybody did a great job. Um Jose Canseco especially just really packed yeah. it. Um but yeah, it's uh my computer locked it up, wouldn't let me have it anymore. And I kept knocking for... on the door saying, Can I please have the mailbag? <laughs> and the computer was like, Nah, eat shit. So
2: <laughs> Never for one second did either of us say think. Maybe we should re record that. Maybe oh, we God, should do no. another pass at the mailbag. Nah.
1: No 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 no. Look, if it was Star Trek, I wouldn't even re record it. We would just release the scores. And that's that's the important this is the important <laughs> one. I've been saying it for weeks now. This is the important <laughs> part of the podcast, the one that we're doing today. Um so even though I enjoyed the mailbag, nah we weren't gonna not gonna touch yeah. that again. Um so yeah, week week one hundred seven. Uh you know how this works. We go in reverse order. The episode that finished last place last week goes first this week. And that's almost always Voyager.
2: (laughs) And it is this time. This week we watched Bliss. Voyager. (sighs) A shuttle with a kind of pig man. Is headed for a yawning space maw, and the pigman is talking to some unseen adversary. And we go to credits. Yeah. On Voyager, they appear to have detected a wormhole, and Matt, where does this wormhole go? Straight uh, to Sector Zero Zero One.
1: Probably just pops out just right above San Francisco. Would be my guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 You're not even going to have to look at one of the lesser continents. It's going to put you right over the Golden Gate. Yeah. Uh, the wormhole has unusual biogenetic activity. You know what and that Janeway means. Thinks, exactly. Well, everyone on the bridge is like, ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Janeway thinks it's too good to be true. She goes to yellow alert and she launches a probe. Meanwhile, in the Delta Flyer, Seven and Tom Paris are returning from a deuterium finding mission with <laughs> little Naomi Wildman. They took the kid to go do some mining.
1: Yeah, I could only assume it's because they just didn't get enough on that on that silver blood planet.
2: Yeah, well they got almost forty kilograms or whatever, <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, be- even though this is the end of the mission, and she probably should have been asking these questions all along because this is the first time we see her, mm. she's complaining because she wants to do all the fun stuff, make first contact, get into a space battle. Um, it's almost like they had her
1: locked away for most of the mission and then only let her out when they were close to Voyager or something
2: yeah I mean that was sort of my impression like it seems like this is an odd odd point for this to be coming up but Mm -hmm. um, you know and Tom Paris lets her fly the ship for a minute when they get back Seven finds astrometrics full of idiots Janeway, Chakotay, Tuvok Kim and they're all studying this wormhole and they're not suspicious anymore but she sure is They should have detected the wormhole days ago for one thing. Yeah. She goes up to Janeway's office later to tell her that the neutrino levels are bonkers, but Janeway has had messages in the meantime through the wormhole from Starfleet saying, hey, we know about the neutrinos and they're bonkers. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Just honestly, just don't worry about any of it.
1: God, I wish I could just not worry about anything that happens in this episode because the plot is so inconsistent. I, I don't wanna to get too deep into it, but at this point the monster's the monster, he's gonna learn it's a monster is like, Oh, don't worry about the neutrino levels, but then at other times it can just make the sensors read
2: whatever he wants, so I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know what's going on. Or it can just knock them all out and have them have dreams. Yeah, it's I don't I don't really understand. Yeah. It, <clears throat> it does have inconsistent powers. Uh Janeway accuses seven of just being nervous about going to the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chicote comes in, and he's decoded another letter for Janeway, and it's more good news. Mark broke off his engagement. <gasps> the world's most perfect live-in boyfriend, Mark?
0: Uh-huh. Wow.
2: Now, he was married already in sure. the last letter she got, but, you know, maybe he wrote that letter right before. The, we don't really learn what happened <laughs> there. And also, we learned this isn't a real letter, so it doesn't matter. I wonder if
1: afterwards she'll be, like, when this episode's over, she goes,
2: Oh, I should have picked up on that. I knew he was uh, In married. retrospect, there were a lot of clues. I should have picked up on that one. He kept saying, it's me, Mark, in the letter, even <laughs> though that's not how letters work. <laughs> uh, Chakotay has a letter, too. Uh, he's been pardoned and reinstated and offered a professorship at the Academy with mm. tenure, probably.
1: Yep, and free beachers for life.
2: <laughs> Just all the beachers you can eat. Mm-hmm. Um, seven can't believe this shit. And she hacks into Janeway's logs for the day they discovered the wormhole. And sure enough, in the first entry for that day, Janeway says the wormhole is a deception. Yeah. But then her subsequent logs are less and less suspicious. I was wrong when I
1: said deception. What I meant was Decepticon. And what I meant by (laughs) that was totally cool because they're the cool ones. They're the Jets.
2: It was weird how in Janeway's third log, she says, I don't know why I'm making excuses for myself. No one will ever (laughs) read this or play this log. They could just,
1: honestly, they could just delete the first one. Who's going to know?
2: Yeah. Uh, In the hallway, Neelix brings her her own letter from the Alpha Quadrant, from some aunt she knew nothing about, and also reveals that Starfleet is making him an ambassador. Yeah. A decision they have made uh, without even doing a phone screen.
1: No, it's true. They didn't even do half an hour with me on Zoom, and I'm never prepared right. for one of those. Uh,
2: In the mess hall, even Tom Paris, who was on the shuttle with her, and so has been exposed to this for the same amount of time she has, has been swayed by the good news flood. In his case, he's got an offer to join a test pilot program on Australia's horniest beaches, probably.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, it said that Steph was going to be there, too, which is interesting.
2: <laughs> well yeah did need to talk about his big buddy's death yeah <laughs> so she goes to the only person uh on the ship who's more of a killjoy than her Shmollis and she starts telling him what's up and she asks him to look into what's happening to the crew but then Janway calls her to the bridge to look at the wormhole because that's part of her job description sure. hey come look at this picture of earth <laughs> that we're getting through the wormhole right so... come
1: come here and tell us um uh... On a scale from nine to ten, how beautiful this planet is.
2: Right, and also how convinced you are. That's right. The ship is less than an hour away at this point, and Janeway's already planning to land Voyager at Starfleet headquarters. Uh huh. Some, somewhere.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I guess she's gonna buzz the tower or something on the on the football field. Maybe she's been watching Top Gun. She's just gonna she she thinks it's the coolest shit.
2: Well, she and Chakotay have been practicing those uh, windmill high fives and everything for sure. <laughs> Uh, Seven. Meanwhile, goes back to astrometrics and does like a real thorough scan, and she discovers there's another ship in the wormhole. Uh, and she makes contact with our friend Pigman from the beginning. Oh yeah, and I he know He tells that guy. her, "Hmm, I know that guy. Yeah, we've seen this guy.
0: I know that guy from the he beginning was of the episode. At clouds
2: at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I know
1: him, but I'll tell you in the my quick hitters what else I know him from.
2: Oh, is it? yeah." Uh, well, he tells her she's being deceived and he cryptically says he knows what you want. <laughs> and, uh, I, and does he look, is he a little bit like Malcolm McDowell? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of in that area, but like a Pigman version <laughs> of Malcolm McDowell.
1: Yes. Well, you know, uh, what? I'll just spoil it since we keep talking about this crazy guy. You once said that he reminded you very much of our father in a Babylon five episode.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, for the soul eater. He's
1: the soul eater. He's the guy. He's the
2: soul eater that's a lot like our dead dad. He's yeah, the
1: soul leader. Sure. So I think because he's kind of a pig man, they always put him in some kind of crazy makeup. Yeah.
2: Uh, Tuvok comes into Astrometrics and tells her, Power's cut off and you're grounded. And also, there's no record of that transmission you had from the other ship. Mm-hmm. And she can't reach him with logic either. And he restricts her access to astrometrics, and she goes to the cargo bay where she hears noises, and she finds little Naomi Wildman slinking around. Oh,
1: thank God. I was afraid she was going to find that imaginary rapist again.
2: Oh, yeah, that was a
1: bad scene. Everyone was feeling so many um, uh, uh, powerful deceptions that I thought it was possible.
2: (laughs) Uh, Naomi is hiding from everyone, even her mother, Who's all glassy eyed talking about Earth, but Earth is a place Na- Naomi doesn't know or consider her home. Yeah. So she can just, she she and Seven are the only people who know that something is wrong.
1: Yeah, this alien monster almost got it right. It's just like yes. almost the entire crew shared this one drive to get home, but they, they just, there were a couple, just a couple of stragglers that they couldn't
2: get. Well, at the end of this episode, uh, the monster convinces them to let it have another go at it and it, it corrects a couple of little errors, but it turns out it doesn't matter. Cause they never, they never even look into it the second time for some reason. <laughs> yep. Uh, so they go back to sick bay but Shmuelis has been taken offline until they cross through the wormhole and Tom Paris won't turn him back on. And then Chakotay shows up and tell her tells her that, hey, guess what? This wormhole, it goes through a Borg monitored layer of subspace. So yeah. you're going to have to go into stasis just until we're through. It's going to be like, just like a two hours. That's right. Um, but because he's not actually evil or anything in this one, he's just being controlled by a weird alien. Uh, She does manage to convince him to let her adjust her regeneration parameters before she goes in. Mm. Uh, But what that really means is she just fucking traps him behind a force field. She just goes into there and sets up a force field and does a bunch of Borg subroutines, etc. It's one of those force fields
1: that makes it so that he can't call security and tell them that she clearly (laughs) said out loud, I'm going to engineering. (laughs) Yep. He just got to stay in there because of the force field.
2: Uh... Naomi's in there, and Chakotay tries to order her away from the console, but uh, because Seven needs her to uh, push three buttons when they try to break the force field.
1: It's Um, amber-amber-blue.
2: Yeah, basically. But, uh, yeah, she knows better than to trust uh, weird old Chakotay. She doesn't trust Chakotay normally, probably. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what's your game? Why are you so pro-Starfleet now?
0: Well, she's
1: Um, one of those kids who's got it right. She's like... I like that you're nice to me, but I question why you're talking to the little kid. (laughs) You should be ignoring me.
2: I don't know. You might have other motives. Uh, Seven beams to engineering with a gun, and she stuns Bolana and a couple of very slow-reacting engineers. (laughs) These guys do not react at all to the sound of a phaser blast, and they just slowly, one by one, turn around to eat their own. (laughs) Imagine how...
1: shitty it must feel on the day of the shoot for them to be (laughs) mapping this out and they're like and now you turn around and then you take a beat and then you turn around and you're sitting there going i don't think that makes any sense and remember to stand still for a
2: second at the end so we can paint the phaser beam in (laughs)
1: should i say something should i say that doesn't make sense because like my my guy would definitely turn around faster
2: like what am i even uh I mean, maybe you can help. What am I looking at on the console that's so interesting? Like, what am I so engrossed in for a second that I that I don't turn around? It's
1: just L cars. Just press the L cars over and over just, again.
2: Just hit buttons, and we'll put the boops in after. Someone has their whole job is to put the boops. So don't in. hit
1: the too many buttons, because we don't want to make someone's job too hard. Hit it's a It's actually
2: buttons. it's it's actually eight hundred dollars a button press. So you know, <laughs> go
0: like easy you have it. to
2: do enough that it looks real, but don't go crazy. <laughs> Uh, she sets up a force field in engineering too, but Janeway stuns her by sending an electric surge through the console she's using, Never trust which really it really. I feel like this is a third rail idea, because we know those consoles are bad news, but in universe they're not supposed to feel that way about them, <laughs> but like how do you just, if you're B'Elanna or anybody, how do you yeah. work at that console again, knowing that Janeway did two boops on the bridge mm-hmm. and uh, Seven got extremely electrocuted
1: because Man, of it. Janeway loves killing too, so you never know.
2: I mean, exactly. She could she could do random executions this way.
1: Plus, you never know. It could be another serial killer on board. Shit happens on Voyager. He's got a. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would never stand next to one of those anyway.
2: Well, they are not safe. No. You like have one of those uh, anti-static wristbands like you're building a PC <laughs> on all the time, and you're just like constantly clipping in to grounded surfaces as you walk up to each console.
1: Nah, I would just use a big old, a big, long, skinny stick <laughs> to push the L cars from across the room.
2: Just a big pole with a rubber nub on the end <laughs> that you use to push the L cars. It would be like, just saying out loud, ah, oh,
1: thank God they're all different colors. I can memorize them based on the colors.
2: This wood is kiln dried. It it Kill kiln dried at extremely low conductivity. <laughs> uh, anyway, into the wormhole they go. Uh, Inside this thing, everything is in dream sequence slow-mo. Yeah. And we see arriving at Earth, shaking hands with admirals, somebody but then goes we also, oh, Gandalf. Basically. <laughs> uh and then we see that the crew is passed out everywhere while the shift drips into this goopy maw from the intro. Right. Um only Naomi is awake now. But she manages to wake Seven up in engineering, and then she's too scared to go back to her quarters, uh, so they have to stick together and do a starship mine here. Mm. Or really, I mean, we'll cut to it, but really this is the game. This episode is the game. Yes. Uh, Seven works out that they're inside a giant space organism, and she makes contact with Pigman again. But now he believes that she is a deception and mm-hmm. he won't drop his shields to help until she points out that he's going to die in 15 minutes anyway. So, like, what are we fighting for here? Yeah, anyway, he, he
1: comes aboard. He feels pretty sure that that reading, the one that says the ship's going to blow up, is for uh-huh. real. So that he's, one he believes. He's like, ah, oh, sh- oh, shit, okay, yeah, I guess that's true.
2: Uh, he tells her he's been hunting this thing for nearly 40 years, but he can still be fooled sometimes. Like, maybe just now, was that was that a trick? Did you trick me? Yeah. Uh, like when he flew into this thing yesterday, thinking he that he had a plan to kill it.
1: Yeah, that, I imagine that was the teaser, right? That was what he was referring <laughs> yes. to.
2: Yeah. Although there was a minute there when he said he'd been hunting it for nearly forty years. When I thought, this old boy been forty years in this thing. <laughs> Did we see a flashback from forty years ago?
1: He no. looks the same. This, this pigman race—they must age pretty slowly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, they wake Schmollis up, and he confirms that he found elevated dopamine levels in the crew before he was shut down. Then somehow, and we never see him, let's say, uh, wringing his hands over how he made this decision. He picks Bolana as a test subject, mm-hmm. and he wakes her up.
1: Yeah, again, sh- insane <laughs> that he doesn't wring his hands over this, given how he went mad the time he had to pick between two uh-huh. patients.
2: Yeah, that was pretty recent. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty recent episode.
1: Doesn't feel like it, you know, because of the hiatus, but it was, I promise. Yeah.
2: Uh, but she's clearly still having hallucinations and she loses consciousness again. Uh Pigman, who i I want to be clear, has not said his name yet at this point in the episode. Mm-hmm. tells them how three thousand people, mainly families, including his family, were seduced by this beast forty years ago. and then Schmollis tells him that the life form is two hundred thousand years old, but it shows no signs of sentience, so don't worry, it's okay to murder it.
1: No, <laughs> well, Starfleet doctors, you know, they got yeah. they got their own deal.
2: But then when Pigman says he thinks a torpedo will do the job if they can just get deep enough inside it, Schmola suddenly doesn't want to kill the creature, and <laughs> instead they want to use some of Pigman's tetrions to shoot mm-hmm. some antimatter yeah, to make Voyager taste bad
1: yeah he's got them tet- he got a tetrion he's a tetrion beamboat and yep. uh they're, they're they're rocking the phasers but they got,
2: they only type tw- they're only level 12 though they're not they're only level 12 and they're not only that but they're only green level 12 green they're level
1: 12 yeah they're only whatever that is un- uncommon i don't know uncommon <laughs> yeah
2: there's uh, some business with his targeting sensors, but eventually Voyager vents a bunch of antimatter and Katai, for that is the name of the pig man, blows it up. And I was Voyager close. Gets...
1: I was close. I'd been calling him Kaja the Fang. So. That's
2: pretty close. Yeah. Uh, you always have been a cat lover.
1: Mm. Me and <laughs> Uh
2: Voyager gets vomited out, but that's a trick too. Uh, except that Shmolus and Katai see through it, even though Seven doesn't. This entire thing is just so that they could explain to her that the reason she's being tricked now is because she wants to escape, whereas she didn't want to go to Earth before. So it's like, hey, it's real late in the episode to be laying the groundwork for this fucking monster's powers.
1: I know, and these writers are not good at their job. Shmolus is the one who reads the panel and says, we're out. And it's like, he's a yep. robot. How's he being tricked? Exactly. Faked? I don't know. Who,
2: who is and who isn't fooled? I
1: don't, I don't really know what's happening. Then the Kaja the Fang goes, "Nah, it's a trick. And then Shmullis looks at the instruments and goes, Yeah, it's a trick. That's what I said. So, I don't know.
2: <laughs> anyway, n- don't none of this matter because they just do a second burst and that gets them clear for real. Yeah. Uh, Katai vows to continue the hunt while Shmullis works to revive the rest of the crew. And then Voyager, in the finest Starfleet tradition, drops a bunch of warning buoys. And Seven and Naomi talk about how they still don't get Earth, but, like, they'll probably have to face it someday. And then Katai takes one more run into the Maw. Credits.
1: I think uh, they were going to shoot it with some more torpedoes, but they were like, ah, we're running out of those. We haven't dropped so many of these buoys. we still got some of those. Let's just drop them.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what probably happened was Seven and Shmolos decided not to kill it. But as soon as Janeway woke up, she was like, I think we should kill it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, why not though? It's pretty evil. I love killing. This one says this feels like a no-brainer. The doctor said this one isn't even sentient, so
1: that's basically him giving me permission to go kill.
2: I'm gonna go kill it. Matt, what's (laughs) this one about?
1: I mean, I think this is like maybe the most literal version of a take we've already seen 150 times, which is "be careful, be careful what you wish for," or (laughs) uh, you know, if it's too good to be true,
0: probably Uh is.
1: You know what I mean? Like, we've we've seen this exact one 100 times, but this is super literal because the monster is making them think that they're, they're getting all the good stuff. Um, I wanted it to be something like avoid groupthink at all costs and consult an outsider because of, uh, you know, Seven and the Wildman baby saving the day with their not wanting to go to Earth or whatever. Right. Um, but it's not. It's the first one. So just a four because we've seen this. Just so many times.
2: Just a floor for me. What about you? Um, okay, I think that the takeaway from this episode is that you are not the only sensible, rational person in a world full of people who believe what they want to believe and only consider evidence that only supports their existing positions. Because we all fail to be skeptical of facts that support our biases.
0: Hmm.
2: Basically, that no one is special. Uh, the key I mean, moment I, in this episode. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I was going to say. I guess that makes sense with that seven stuff in the end that that, that, yes. that shoehorned in.
2: And it, it's un it's unconsidered prior to that moment. Seven apparently believes that she's just immune to this thing, and now my wildman's immune to it. And the Doctor, because he's a hologram, and maybe because she's got Borg shit, and Naomi Wildman's a weird alien or a baby or something.
1: Yeah, and the Seven being immune to it doesn't even make sense based on some writing inconsistencies in this episode, which we'll get into.
2: Right. Uh, But like Naomi, she just didn't want to go to Earth, so that vision wasn't effective against her. So, you know, be critical when you see something that supports your position, and also remember that people who aren't critical uh you know like that's a pretty inherently human trait yeah they i don't have know there. what i would have scored this it's kind of a long rambling
1: one but it's not i mean it's it is a good thing to keep in mind
2: yeah i don't know what i would have scored this in 2015 you know, prior to some <laughs> troubling events in American history, the
1: troubles you can start calling them
2: that. I think the troubles. We've I have had I enough time calling them the troubles. Yeah, but here in twenty twenty two, it does uh, seem like a valuable lesson to me. Okay. So, I am going to give it as many as seven.
1: All right, that's that seems fair. Um, uh, there have been many times where I've given an episode extra points because of the terrible troubles,
2: <laughs> and just like people should watch this one and think about it a little. <laughs>
1: Maybe if someone watched this and they went, huh, I guess that's a good point. All right, what about execution then?
2: Yeah, well, of course, the writers of the show sell my premise for the episode short by giving the crew actual hallucinations.
1: <laughs> Which is always, so, there's at least uh, a mandatory deduction, I believe.
2: Yeah, so then it's like, were they even physically capable of resisting this thing's influence or hearing the arguments that Seven made against it? Honestly, they don't. it's not clear. I don't know how powerful the monsters are.
1: I, I, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about is, is everyone just dumb? or like is the does the monster actually control them?
2: Right. Yeah, it's not clear. Yeah. And um, you know, it makes sense that Naomi wouldn't be caught up in the same same trap that everyone else is, but I also I think I would have liked it better if there were degrees of skepticism. Like maybe Tom Paris who is canonically in this series, better off dead than back on earth. Yeah. And Neelix, who has had a lot of questions about his usefulness on the crew once they get outside of his little backyard. Mm-hmm.
0: Also, he's and got Tuvok. depression.
2: Yeah, and Tuvok, who's just a little less emotional than the others. Like, maybe they could have been the last to fall, but yeah. no. No, they all have to be all in on it.
1: Yeah, this show's often not about subtlety.
2: Yeah. Um, that said, I did expect this to be worse, and I, um, you know, I gave it a five, but... Then they made me see everyone's passed out hallucinations for no reason. <laughs> Literally, there's it, no... It's true. It, They've already been just telling for, us. Exactly. We don't need to see it.
1: Yeah, we were, we were told and shown, which is know, kind of a waste of minutes for asking yeah. me.
2: I um, mean, that is a two point deduction,
1: so it is Ouch. just going to be a three for me. Yeah, that's tough. See, they, didn't, they are not studying the rubric that I keep sending <laughs> through a portal to the past. I keep trying to get it to them. And
2: it's very clear, work. and it's so, it's so rare that I give a pass on a shown dreamer hallucination. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I deduct two? in the most toys when jordy heard the enterprise again i think i didn't because it was too amazing we we talked we talked about that scene for a good 15 minutes
1: it was too amazing to deduct points from he's sleeping there full uniform visor off yep just immediately bolts in bed and goes data and reaches right over and grabs (laughs) grabs his visor
2: (laughs) he knew Exactly. exactly where that was and i recently listened to us talking about that not only does he reach over and grab his visor but he realizes that he's holding right it upside down <laughs> and he turns it over somehow he's i mean look
1: he if anyone knows the visor it's him but damn he's doing good work in there but yeah he just literally dreams the exact memory the, the perfect uh-huh. eidetic memory of what it, what he'd heard earlier um all right So, yeah, I I asked the question, is the alien just showing people what they want to see, or is he controlling their minds, too? Because why would Chaco think they would offer him a pardon and a
2: professorship before
1: Uh he ever sets tattooed butt in the Alpha Quadrant?
2: And it's a professorship in, what, archaeology? Yeah, Sure, yeah, somewhere he can trek around in the jungle. Anthropology, maybe?
1: Where he hated being when he was a teenager, but now he desperately thinks he wants to be. And, like he still has no academic credentials. No, but it makes no sense at all. And Neelix, a full ambassador. So I was like, if the alien's not actually controlling them, then these people are fucking dummies. Yeah. Uh, as always, the whole crew, except for Seven and the Doctor and I guess the Wildman baby, are uh, immune. The instruments can be deceived at various times and at other times they're not. The doctor, who can't be fooled, reads that they've been ejected until the guy hails and says, Nuh-uh, and then the shit reads correctly. It's very confusing what the alien's <laughs> powers are. Uh, otherwise, like you, I agreed it was actually kind of average. It wasn't like, on, on the Voyager curve, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, And I didn't find the lessons learned were a mystery or anything. They were pretty on the nose. And um, an extra point for somebody finally shouting, that old pig man, think about it <laughs> literally said think about it into the view screen and i went there you go <laughs> that's it that's what i've been looking for yeah so i gave it a four that's All weird right. you had a five uh, automatic deduction to a three and i had it as a three uh, automatic promotion because <laughs> <of, laughs> someone said think about it
2: What uh, about world building
1: uh, no way in fucking hell is this little girl going to be able to learn L cars like we just talked about. I don't She's like, I want to fly the shuttle or whatever. And I'm Pff, good luck.
2: Yeah. I'm never going to learn that. And <laughs> like, first you push this one and then you push that one. But what he didn't say is, don't ask me why. Right. <laughs> you just have to memorize it. Uh, I have flashcards in, uh, in my quarters, I still use them. Uh,
1: Chaco says in this episode that I guess that mission went pretty well and deuterium is no longer uh, an issue so that's good I'm glad they said Uh, it although when they were coming
2: back I did believe they had not found deuterium but I for sure did not go back to check
1: (laughs) I'm glad he said it in the episode so that I don't have to keep asking about it because I did have to ask about it many times Uh, the telepathic monster that eats antimatter and biomatter etc it's 200,000 years old but you give it a dang old tummy ache and you're good to go. I mean, that's it, right? It's the monster? The monster's the world building? Yep. That's not good. That's a one.
2: Uh, Yeah, what do I have in addition to that monster? Um, That a, a wormhole that goes directly to Earth is too good to be true? That feels pretty well established already. Sure. <laughs> uh, Roga Danar... Style transporter tricks slash Major Kira style transporter tricks. We'll talk about it in a little bit. <laughs>
0: yep.
1: Also, and I've been not... rewatching. Uh, I've been rewatching Lower Decks because the first time I watched them, um, we had the sleeping baby out in the living room with us the whole time, and we had the volume right. on like one, and I couldn't. I didn't really know what was happening. And uh, they did just because you brought up Roca Danar. It's one of the many references they make where they're having a conversation about who's the most badass, and Boimler says Roca Danar. And that makes everyone cringe.
2: <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh. Yeah, I gave it a one. Like you. There's Otherwise, there's basically no world building in this one. There is a weird monster in space. Mm-hmm. It ate Pigman's whole family. And it can pretend to be a wormhole or whatever people want it to be.
1: Yeah, we had to see all their dumb dreams. That's
2: in, in terms of characterization. Uh. I guess because this is not like a weird time hijinks or alternate universe or the people experience hallucinations, but they're real. I guess we still can learn a little bit about their hopes and dreams. Okay. So Janeway still carries a torch for Mark. Yes. Chakotay's dream includes not just a pardon, but reinstatement in Starfleet.
1: Well, that makes sense.
2: How much did he hate being in the Maquis?
1: (laughs) I mean, look at the instant he got a chance. He was all in. I mean he was like episode two he's like the most Starfleet
2: I gotta punch people all the time I have to sleep with Balana, and I'm scared of her sometimes, also Seska
1: sometimes I gotta sell
2: weapons to people to get information uh-huh. <laughs> uh Neelix has pretty grandiose visions for himself since Janeway's little you're not bad at this diplomacy stuff at least compared to the walking shoe trees on this mission speech mm-hmm. um also very much in character no one even asks what harry kim's good news is or what's waiting for him at earth or about i mean Lindsay honestly or whatever i barely
1: even remembered he was in this thing
2: i mean he's just he's hardly in it he's literally in it this week but yeah. it's like they just can't bring themselves to care no one checks in on him at all
1: no the new and improved harry kim is a thing of the past i think i think he's back to being regular old harry kim
2: so there's a three for me i mean chakota is stuff like you said it doesn't make sense it don't make no sense no matter how you look at it mm-hmm. he thinks he could just become a professor yeah just but re- only at starfleet academy he knows he can't <laughs> he can't become a professor at yale
1: no nah, he ain't gonna make it at kent state or whatever
2: right whichever one process. is process
1: they got like a real <laughs> they they're gonna go through the. you know like six interviews with all kinds of you gotta be there on campus all day it's the worst yeah.
2: Even though I feel like the person who teaches anthropology at Starfleet Academy, probably a civilian and also probably has a Ph.D.
1: Yeah, that's probably like when when Picard's Professor old Galen shows type. up with
2: the exactly with the curl and <laughs> Nesco's in a while.
1: Creepy old man. Everybody
2: wear a diaper for that episode. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about that a long time. <laughs> no one is like, oh, also, he was a pretty good starship captain. No. By the
1: way. Yeah, no, it's creepy old man who's got uh, uh, dangerous interests.
2: Yes. <laughs> uh, just a three for me.
1: Okay, uh, we're, we're agreed. I have it as a three. Um, uh, Janeway, finally distrustful of the random shit we come across each week, but she still stops to check the thing out. Uh, Then she's totally fooled. I was going to say she's the biggest mark in the history of Starfleet, but again, I remembered that there was an entire episode of TNG where they were nearly conquered by Dr. Mario, so... Yo. Yep. <laughs> uh you know, maybe not. She's just got, it's a high bar. Um again, they're uh taking the baby along on missions. So that doesn't seem great. I was hoping this was little league for the little girl, but no, she's she's throughout the whole episode, she thinks the Voyager is her home. She doesn't care about Earth. She stays close to Seven, etc. Uh
2: that, Seven, yeah. That little girl got to be 30 now, right? I mean,
1: if this was 1990... 30 or 35? 7? When do you suppose this one was? 8? I don't know. Yeah,
2: uh, that's a good question. So,
1: so, 24 years ago? So, yeah, she's in her 30s, for sure. Uh, maybe we can make her a listener. I'll try to find out what her name is. I just tweet right at her. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, this aired 10th February 1999. Oh, shit, okay. Holy shit, dog. Does that mean... No, I think we just... Maybe we just escaped there being an episode of Voyager post nine eleven.
1: Yeah, they ended in two thousand and one, but I think yeah, I
2: think they ended in the in May or whatever.
1: Um seven, as always, is the audience avatar. We see this wormhole and we go, Well, this is bullshit. And that's with or without the teaser with the angry troll. Right. Um but she must like I was thinking about it. She must really want to have somebody contact her from Earth if this alien is that's what it showed her. Yeah. Cause like, is the alien just a desperate entity without a plan B and it's like, oh man, you're gonna you're gonna wanna read this juicy letter from home. God, this is so hard. <laughs> or does she really was she hoping that someone would reach out to her? But no one no one talks about it. She doesn't explore it in any way. Um, the doctor doesn't think this beastie is sentient but he should look in the mirror because everyone always says that about him so just yeah. a three not much
2: yeah uh, this actress is 33 and she was on Reba which <laughs> explains why she seems so familiar to me because you've seen uh, the Reba's I mean I've seen let's say five minutes here and there of a lot of Reba's and is I that because you basically all of the words to the song to the theme song
1: yeah me too i'm reba <laughs> um i was gonna ask have you seen five minutes of the show or do you mean like a while you walk past a dumpster and there's an orange wig in it
2: well i mean both <laughs> um but, but so far keenan thompson's never put it on and <laughs> walked right over to 30 rock um <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite songs. It's
1: a really good song because it one contains one of those
2: lonely islands.
1: Saying that he's Reba, it's important when you have to say it in the song. Voice uh, uh, makes it a winner. Uh, quick hitters. Yeah, give me him. Like I said, it's that guy who played the soul leader in B Five that reminded
2: you of our dad. He's got yeah, a ang- lot of people and sometimes animals remind me of our dad.
1: <laughs> he's got that angry troll voice. Uh, Chainway, as we talked about, says to lay in a descent trajectory to San Francisco. HQ, uh-huh. man. she Like I said earlier, she gonna buzz the tower, I guess.
0: Yeah,
2: I guess so. Or there's a big parking lot for the two starships that can land. It just, it's I've, gonna be like five runabouts down there and a bunch of the little shuttles, and then she's just gonna probably land right on top of them.
1: I just feel like... Is she trying to dist- Maybe she's going to distract them from her terrible, terrible logs if they ever read them. She's just going to try to blast in there with a lot of pizzazz and then hope she gets promoted before they read
2: everything. Well, it strongly suggests, and I didn't put this in world building, that there's no air traffic control around Earth. Because she's telling them to plot a descent course and, uh, I mean, she ain't got permission. No. She ain't got permission to land right in Golden Gate Park.
1: No. Her <laughs> ship doesn't even cloak. No, though I wonder if in if in memory of that great event if they have maybe a nice spot for a ship to land. If maybe a close ship over but doesn't a huge have to section. Pay. Yeah, just a place where a ship can land, uh just in case. Yeah. Um I tried to think about what this alien would use to lure me in, and the problem is I have no big dream. <laughs> just none. There's nothing in there. Like, if you just, if you picked me up and shook me upside down, no, nothing's going to fall out. I'm totally broke on dreams. So it had to be something extremely dumb, like, the Oakland A's want to pay you $500,000 a year to be a consultant for the rest of your life, but don't worry, they won't actually call very often. You can hang out and play video games or something. (laughs) And that made me very sad that that was the best thing I could think of.
2: That's a hard realization to come to. Yeah.
1: Uh, 7 yells out loud that she wants the computer to beam her to main engineering. <laughs> Tufok comes in and Chaco just looks at him, helpless. Why doesn't he immediately tell him she's in engineering?
2: <laughs> it's crazy. Listen, the words weren't written on the page and Beltran doesn't, uh, no. he don't improvise.
1: he yeah, look, it's, uh, no skin off him. See, I didn't give a crap. It's like, hey, uh, never mind. I had a thing I was gonna say, but it's not important. Um... This girl who's 33 now is way too big to ask to be carried.
2: I thought so, too. And not only that, but Jerry Ryan has to do everything in this show in four-inch heels. Yeah. Not only are they four-inch heels, but they're connected uh, by spandex or lycra to her entire bodysuit.
1: Which, as we've talked about before, her butt crack is basically bursting
2: out of. Right. So, like... I feel like if you pick go to pick up the little girl and then you twist your ankle, not only are you destroying your <laughs> ankle, but probably that force is going to get transmitted through that lycra in some weird way. And you're going to, like, pinch a nerve in the the opposite side of your neck or something <laughs> way up at the top. And That's it's true. just going to ruin you. So, yeah. yeah, don't pick up any eight-year-olds.
1: I couldn't believe when they made her pick that girl up. That's too much for an actress to have to do. Um, I was just thinking, my son. I, yes, I am a father. It weighs like 24 pounds, and that's heavy as shit. And I wouldn't want to carry this little brat around during a, yeah. a ship emergency. Um, Thank God Beverly Crusher wasn't here to make an impassioned plea for the soul of the telepathic monster. Oh, never yeah, mind. Yeah, Schmollis yeah, yeah, did yeah. it. Schmollis yeah, got right. to there it. There you go. <laughs> he, he finished that one up for me. I had worst actor candidate, B'Elanna Torres, talking to the imaginary Maquis risen from the dead.
2: I didn't love that. I didn't love that.
1: There wasn't one Oh shit, they told me you got blasted in the brains <laughs> or anything. <laughs>
2: uh that's it for me. Uh I have a few um there, there are bad there are a lot of bad cold opens in Star Trek. This is one that was I think maybe the least inspiring cold open so far. Like yes. Did I make a big stink about the Council of Monsters and Enterprise the first time I saw that cold okay, open? Okay. Sure. But
1: we did get to see Dolphin Boy, and that's important.
2: We, that's right. The Dolphin Boy was hanging around. That was pretty cool. In this one, again, it is, uh, it is just Pigman Augie <laughs> in his ship yelling at nothing. It's about 40 seconds long, and it ends with him going into what might be a big mouth in space, but might also just be a weird cloud formation, especially not in HD. Yeah, it's it's 40 seconds it's
1: just, long, but in the style of uh, the motion picture, two-thirds of that are special effects.
2: Yeah, and then just two credits, and it's like, well, I don't know that guy, <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to. Is he under attack or getting zapped by Space Lightning? I don't know what's happening. And just credits on that, huh? <laughs> yep.
1: Always inspiring when you see no main actors show up in the teaser at all.
2: Not only that, but in the hiatus, we had to switch to an app that does not have a skip credits button.
1: Oh, I know. Yeah, we took so long, everything fell off Netflix. We were using Netflix. This show sponsored by Netflix. And right. uh, and now we've got to watch it on the mothership fucking yeah. paramount plus
2: and they don't and they don't let you skip the credits so very much no it, first of all it's the worst of the streaming apps it's just like
1: <laughs> oh it's but crazy Im- it's buggy.
2: impossible to get back to the list of episodes mm-hmm. and it sometimes it jumps to the next episode way early
1: Lately, I've been watching. Uh, I've been rewatching the Lord X. I think I said that. And uh, sometimes I'll like turn on the app, and it'll immediately dive into the episode. But I won't necessarily notice that, so I'll like try to go back to get to the menu, and it'll keep playing the episode. And then when I push play, yeah,
2: so it it'll plays play the audio for forty-five seconds <laughs> before.
1: Then when I push play, it'll play both the original audio that I was trying to uh-huh. escape and the new audio. <laughs> uh huh.
2: Yeah. It's just an absolutely dumpster app. Yeah. Um. But thank goodness we made it all the way through enterprise before the hiatus so that i don't have to watch uh faith of the heart every time
1: yeah or skip through frame by frame on the little seeker Uh until you find a dark frame and go this must be the one
2: (laughs) that's probably where it is yeah uh this letter that Janeway got from mark uh specifically says her dog is fine and quote unreplicated (laughs) So I don't know what that means. She didn't seem worried about it.
1: No, but it was her fondest wish to hear those words. So I think maybe a small part (laughs) of her knew what Mark was going to do to that dog.
2: (laughs) I think she knew the dog was in some kind of peril. (laughs) Matt, do you think that there are a lot of questions about how easily Seven can lock out the rest of the crew after this? Or do we have a real data lore situation on Uh, our hands? This is 100% a data situation.
1: Okay. I, I don't. I didn't hear one question asked about it in real time, and I don't think anyone's going to do anything about it now that she saved the day.
2: Now, I grant you that these guys didn't really know that she was their enemy at any point in this because they were just getting all. First of all, they were totally blissed out. Mm -hmm. And second of all, they they had all, all of these logical things that they were telling her again wasn't because they were sinister or anything. They were just being fed nonsense by a weird alien. Mm hmm. But still, she kind of made a mockery of them. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I don't feel like Janeway is the kind of person who will do a debrief or look at game tape or anything <laughs> like that. But what about? I mean, do you think Tuvok would? He he programmed that whole holographic simulation of a Maki takeover. So he did indeed. There should be some. There should be some review of the of the tape on this one. Yes, I'm
1: hoping there's an after action report. But uh, again they play pretty fast they play by maquis rules out here a lot so who knows uh can we talk about the episode title for just a second oh then yeah it's called bliss when, yeah when you said you were gonna have to read the description for bliss i was very worried about what kind of episode it was gonna be and then i was actually pretty happy that it turned out to be
2: nothing, entirely non-sexual yeah nothing
1: horny happened which was i was very happy about that because i was worried i
2: mean I and mean, we've mentioned a couple of times that this episode is basically identical to the game. Yeah. Except and that episode, way fewer O-faces. Entirely horny. <laughs> yep. It was just background actors making orgasm faces the whole time. Alyssa Ogawa was yeah. off the chain no, in she the was... turbo lift.
1: I, I, you may have nominated her for worst actor, but I 100% had
2: her for best actor. She, went, <laughs> well, she, she was at level went 47 or whatever. <laughs> and, uh,
1: she was just... It was damp. She was just beaning it up right there in front of him. You could see that thing poking out of the little spandex jumpsuit. <laughs> it was nasty. Uh,
2: she's very method, I hear. Yes. Uh, one day we will learn that actress's name.
1: Sure, it's um, Amy Tan. Well, that's not. That's not it.
2: <laughs> that's not it. Okay, I'll keep thinking uh, about it. When. When we cut from their weird fantasies to them all lying past out on the floor, the ship is at red alert. Who put the ship at red alert? <clears throat> uh, Seven of Nine was unconscious, and... I think you know
1: the ship has a floor sensor, and if enough bodies ah. hit the floor, it <laughs> automatically goes to red alert.
2: You mean, the ship should be smart enough to do that. Yeah, I wonder... But it's not. wonder if anyone's thought about that. What if a body goes through the floor because mm. of some... Uh, quantum filaments or something as we know i forget what was causing that
1: just one body then no no it's just someone just comes
2: across that and goes i imagine uh well then they put some cones at the entrance to the hallway i think we decided
1: (laughs) we did talk about that a little bit how there was no Uh, way you were ever going to get her out of there so you're just going to have to fucking weld that whole thing out of there
2: you just pop. I mean, it seems like there's just some pop-in panels, probably, and that hallway just disappears. And like it's still on the schematics. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when Naomi wakes Seven up, Seven asks the crew, and Naomi says unconscious, sort of. And then it pans over to Balana. but Balana's unconscious because Seven found the biggest ever Starfleet <laughs> phaser rifle and <laughs> pumped her full of nadions or whatever. Dude. She's not unconscious because of this thing. And I think the the director forgot.
1: She definitely forgot and also yeah you're right i thought the thing was so big i thought it was one of those uh Herogen rifles for a second
2: i mean yeah right except that it had clearly has a stun setting and i don't think those guys have a stun setting no i don't think so well i don't know they love to do stuff with pre- now nah, they probably don't uh yeah. yeah that does seem like something they forgot they
1: wrote for sure
2: yeah no yeah is not unconscious because she's in the anomaly and dreaming she got Extremely stunned. <laughs> very she, stunned.
1: I don't think she had another dream after she thought she saw the Maquis.
2: <laughs> I think that was it for her dreaming. Uh I would love to see a scene that takes place after this episode where Balana, who is probably tied with Harry Kim for the most intrusive medical procedures at this point. Yeah. Asks Smullish Schmollis why he picked her <laughs> to uh to, to be the guinea pig here. Not, I don't know. Not the captain. Seems Not like, you know someone else sciencey who could help them figure this out. He was gonna wake her up. seems like the same reason he picked her to spy on in the shower. <laughs> Cass is gone,
1: and you know he's got ro- oh, robot fuck. needs in the
2: year we have stopped doing this, I have forgotten that that happened.
0: That there's <laughs> a scene who he just turns
2: shower. on the view screen that's in her shower. Why is there one in her shower anyway?
1: Why is there one in the shower? Why would you ever need it there? And then two, why does he have the ability to turn on anyone's fucking view screen whenever he wants? There are a couple of questions.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: And then I guess at some point, this guy told Seven his name was Katai. Yes. That's not Gorgon levels of confusion because there was definitely... Like they worked together for a while off screen, so it's fine. He mentioned it at some point. But like <laughs> no. no one told us until she called him Katai. No. So.
1: And you're right though, at least it wasn't show yourself, Gorgon. <laughs> show yourself. First of all, Gorgon
0: no not shy
1: not shy about showing himself. He kept doing it. But also <laughs> Gorgon? Come, come again? Did you is that your name for him? <clears throat>
2: Uh yeah, because the kids just call him friendly angel. Mm-hmm. Now uh I gave Best Actor two seven of nine and my worst actor candidate was Dream Tuvok, who's just absolutely stone expressionless when he meets his wife. <laughs> it's just a scene we did not need to see at all.
1: Yep. Yeah, he's clear, you know. I don't it's not rational. He knows it's not rational, but he does blame her that he didn't get to do it with Tank Girl.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Because TP did a number on him, and he really did come to believe that he deserved to do that.
2: <laughs> he's been, just been working it over in his head for a <laughs> week.
1: Yeah, Now he's convinced that the getting was good, and he blew it. So he's like, yay, yeah, it's good to see you. But part of
2: him was like, I missed my shot. That was it. Yeah, well, we didn't see what happened when they had that little mind meld at the end of the last episode. Like, clearly, she un- she understood what was going on in his brain. That he had powerful said, horniness Thank for you. her. Right. But like, wait, did he just see like her when he was in her mind? Did he see her? You know the way she views herself as the throat goat, and he was like, "Oh, <laughs> I did blow that. Ah, damn it. Ah, I blew it. Ah, that's. I mean, look, You know who knows? This is this is her image of herself sure. in there. But like, yeah, no. It did seem nasty in a good way. Um, but you
1: know the good news is next week, new aliens. There's always a chance. <laughs> There's always a chance, <laughs> Tuvok. Don't don't give up.
2: Oh, and that's Voyager. Yeah, no, well, that is Voyager.
1: It was a great episode
2: for sure. Oh, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll check on the score at the end. Yeah, <laughs> uh, second place last week was The Next Generation Ooh. with Unification Part One. This week we watched Unification Part Two. <laughs>
1: Was the first half of that underwater?
2: I mean, I don't know. Maybe.
1: <laughs> that the first part sounded like it was, honestly, it was in distress and needed some assistance.
2: Uh, You know, that's just a good old video conferencing technology at its mm-hmm. best. Matthew, after the recap of Unification 1, Spock asks Picard what he's doing there, and then tells him that he is on a personal mission of peace that does not concern Starfleet, mm. And uh, asks him to leave. But Picard insists on an explanation. Though he does... This is where he takes a minute also to pull him aside and tell him <sighs> about Sarek's death.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's also the it's only It's only animals. good
2: manners to tell him that first.
1: Yeah, then he can go back to hey,
2: browbeating him. Hey, are you being a traitor? By the way... <laughs> your dad's dead.
1: Sarek of Vulcan? I don't know. You know him. Um... I went, and he died, and a part of me thinks it's because I shouted at him, and I feel really <laughs> bad about it. Because <laughs> he told Spock. me about Parnak, but he didn't tell me everything about Parnak, <laughs> and I got a little bit mad about it. Afterwards, I thought about it. I was like, I went too far. And then they told me, like,
2: right after, like, right, right after that he died. So I'm, I am so I I killed your dad. I'm very sorry. And they also asked me in a follow-up message, do you know, like, what he was so upset? he seems like he was really agitated right before he died. Do you have any idea what that would have been about? <laughs>
1: He just kept saying, yes, like, he must have gone to see Pardek, and we were like, what, is he, what are you talking about? And he said, like, a hundred times in a row, and then he died.
2: We don't know. Pardek is the name of a noodle dish here, so I don't know if... <laughs> it was not really something you go to see, but, like, this dude was pretty far gone. Anyway, Spock takes Picard to a back room in this cave, and they talk about Sarek for 20 seconds, mm. and then Spock tells him that he has come to Romulus to encourage uh, an underground movement that seeks reunification with Vulcan. Hmm. Uh, he tells Picard that the reason that he didn't tell Starfleet was because when he was working on peace with the Klingons he put Kirk and McCoy and the rest of the crew in a in a big bunch of danger because mm. he volunteered him for that for that mission in Star Trek 6 yes. coming soon to theaters but and, in
1: this film you get to see William Shatner's greatest acting performance please look out for that <laughs> that's what he was saying
2: right. And he isn't wasn't prepared to risk any more lives. But Picard tells him he's not leaving until Spock's mission is complete. And then Spock tells him he's like Jim Kirk. And he finally gives a seal of approval to the next generation five <laughs> seasons in when they don't need it anymore. Very they important. couldn't get him in the pilot. They could only get McCoy. It was crucially uh,
1: important to do it after Gene died.
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, back up on the cloaked ship. Data tells Kavada that he needs access to a computer because he is going to attempt to hack Romulus's entire shit. Yeah, because it might as well he's there.
1: It does seem like that's really his like his his thought process. He's like, I'm not going back down there. There's no point, so I'll just hang out up here and try to yeah. try to break their information net or whatever. Uh,
2: by the way, I don't remember in Unification One any explanation as to why Picard took Data, but. How much um, you bet it frosted Riker's ass?
1: Yeah, well, as we've been talking about. Picard thinks of Data as his real first officer now,
2: and he's just right, thinking of I... a way
1: to offload Riker
2: on somebody. <laughs> I need to go undercover to Romulus, and I'm taking my main man, Data, with me. But
1: as we discussed, this Only pad... Only man for the job. This pad here has got an important <laughs> B-plot that needs to be B-plotted, so please get
2: started. On anyway, that. I overheard a message about a stolen deflector, so... <laughs> this is huh? on you this is on you buddy i know this definitely sounds like some excelsior bullshit but this is this is all you uh he also wants to send a code of message enterprise doesn't matter picard and uh spock and here i have written kirk but i mean spock that's fine (laughs) stand at the smallest cafe table i've ever seen and wait for pardek while speaking openly in public about how the movement has uh, groups in every populated area Mm. and how they in the Federation have learned to see the Romulans with distrust. Just blabbing it. Just blabbing it out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And the the little kid comes up and he goes,
2: hey, Mr. Spock. Hey, my buddy Spock. Yep. 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 Spock's friend, Detan, brings an old book and he gets scolded by Pardek when he shows up for having this book out in public. But otherwise
1: it's cool. Just blabbing
2: around. Yep, but keep talking about how you and the Federation think about Romulans. Also, let there. me be
1: like a thousand percent clear on this. Vulcans ain't got the foreheads. No, Romulans got yes. the foreheads. <laughs> Spock's just walking around without one. No one sees this?
2: Um, Seems important. They just think he was in a fire or something. <laughs> it's just like,
1: everyone's calling him Spock. He's not dressed up in any way to try to avoid. It's... Ah, mm. But yeah, don't bring that book around, though. That's
2: going to give everyone away. <laughs> um, he tells them both that the uh, pro console has agreed to meet with them. Uh, in the B-plot, Riker goes into a real low-budget Star Wars cantina to get information <laughs> from a smuggler's wife who mm-hmm. plays four-armed piano and uses suck salt. So, oh yeah, that's very Star Wars. It's extremely Star What she said, what she asked him if he wanted suck salt, and he said <laughs> that he doesn't do that anymore or whatever the fuck. He's trying to cut back or whatever he said. I said, ah, oh, it's death sticks.
1: Yeah, exactly. She said it was a nasty was habit. Death. And then Marjon asked me ten questions in a row about whether it was just salt. And I kept telling her not to ask me any questions about the Witcher. <laughs> I don't know about the Witcher. I don't have any information about it.
2: I don't know what it means that he is a Witcher or what it means to Witcher. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he teaches her one of the songs from the King of Casino soundtrack, mm. and they play six-handed jazz, and then she tells him to wait for a fat Ferengi named Omeg, who wants to hear Melor Famigal. By the way, I am. Um, this is a deplorable scene. It's, a, it's
1: one of the worst things anyone's ever shot on television, and yet it's the whole reason that I can keep watching Star Trek, because it brought me so much joy. <laughs> Everything about Jonathan Frakes, just being Jonathan Frakes in this scene full of shitty aliens,
2: uh-huh. just totally did it for me. Uh huh. And he's going to teach him to play uh, Freddy Freeloader or whatever, but yeah. like in the jazziest, organiest way possible. And then, but then also, like, uh, the next time you watch this scene, I want you to just mentally zoom out the camera with your brain until Mm. you can see the edges of the soundstage and all the lights and everything. And just, (laughs) just really imagine the, like the sounds of the cameras running that you don't hear. Yes. And, and just, uh, just what this would actually have been like to bend to, to be in the room when she's offering him suck salt with her forearms. And there's someone presumably squatting behind her, (laughs) reaching around.
1: (laughs) I mean, you probably, honestly, if you're really listening, you can hear someone in the back go, "Well,
2: it's not great." <laughs> well, cut, I guess, because <laughs> that would have been
1: my reaction.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, you're right, though. This scene is the only thing that keeps you going on, on these yeah. on this project. Scenes like this. I one. always
1: mean that one scene was way more interesting than anything that happens on Falcon. I mean, on Romulus in this thing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, back on Romulus, Pardec brings Spock to meet uh, Pro-Council Neral, who tells Spock he believes reunification must eventually come, and that the old guard in the Senate is about to be washed away by a bunch of young AOCs. Oh, yeah. Um, but then he gets called into session in the Senate, and they plan to meet again the following day, and Neral even says the words as Spock leaves. Mm, the but words whoops, his dad couldn't say. That's right. But whoops, Sela was in a closet all along, <laughs> just in a closet in the room. It's her favorite listening.
1: trick, dude. When she does it later in the episode, it blew my mind.
2: Well, she probably came <laughs> into the office five minutes before the thing and looked around. She's like, "Huh, there's not. Where's the deep shadow?" Yeah, you guys. So, why is it so well hidden in here? I need to stand in deep shadow. Can you
1: make what? it? Can you make it seem like maybe that light just kind of went out? That one over there. No. Okay.
2: I mean, okay, I'll go in the closet. <laughs> I mean, there's lights in here. <laughs> It's Honestly, not even dark in the closet. When the door
1: opens, they're going to see me immediately. I want to be able to step out of this. Ugh.
2: This is. I'm going to have to wait till he's really like. You need to give a signal when he's really gone.
1: <laughs> I'm going to wait ten seconds after you say "live, log, and prosper."
2: Uh. Anyway, Picard and Spock think the whole thing is some kind of trick because
0: Obviously. Neural can't
2: possibly have come so
1: far so fast well I'm glad they thought that because I was at home going are we supposed to think this guy's a good guy because we saw him last week fucking putting out the APB on Picard like <laughs> well did, are we supposed to have forgotten
2: that yeah that's true they they can't possibly be fooling us but like and we wouldn't like it very much if Picard and Spock looked at each other and had one of those Kirk Spock agreements and we're like <laughs> he's on the level <laughs> anyway uh, Spock intends to go through with his meeting anyway um. Then he has a little talk with Picard about he's sorry about arguing with him. He might have been bringing his argument with Sarek to Picard unfairly, but he's gonna miss those arguments because that's all that he and Sarek had in the end. Hmm. Um. Then they actually, go up. I was and actually joined-
1: glad that scene happened because for a minute I was like, we did all this father and son stuff in episode one, and then you're gonna have the <laughs> ten second conversation in the beginning, and that's it. You are hope that, well, that's we're done with that.
2: Yeah, luckily they scattered uh, three or four scenes throughout this episode about it, because otherwise, you're right; it would have been. There was a lot of father and son stuff in the first one. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go back up to the bird of prey, and then Picard says he's going to go take his ears off, even though he's going to have to put them on again. Like,
1: yeah, but why are you being this hard on yourself? Just sit down in your bunk,
2: hard, Um, just like you like it, or whatever. But this is the scene where Spock and Data have a little chat. About Picard and about Data's quest to be more human sure. and Spock's choice to live like a Vulcan. Uh, also, by the way, they cracked the robula computers together.
1: Yep, all it took was the two of them to sit down on those twin toilets and just get to it. <laughs> they had that thing cracked in a minute. They had that thing cracked faster than Will I Am wrote boom, 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 pow. Yeah. I assume that was uh, a but- <laughs> two minute job, is what
2: it seems like. <laughs> It's uh at some point he had to come up with the to, to the two thousand eight, two thousand late line. So <laughs> Oh
1: that probably was the inspiration. He probably had that written before he was. Oh left he, the song. he probably
2: started from that. Yeah,
1: he yeah, probably yeah, hit, yeah. thought of that in his head and was like, Oh, I gotta write a song on that, and then he couldn't think of anything else. So then he just was like, I don't know, I'll just throw some boom boom pows in there. People will like it.
2: Well, back in Star Trek Tatooine, it's Worf's turn to wait in the bar yeah. and he asks the piano player uh, to play a little octu and meloda oh thank god he did and then the best scene in the whole series is interrupted <laughs> when the fat ferengi appears and asks her instead to play lavosa's theme from earthbound
1: I, yes i was really afraid that scene wasn't going to hold up because i hadn't watched it in when did we start this 2016 <laughs> so yeah. at least Sorry. six years Right, I'd probably seen it not that long before that But I hadn't seen it in at least six years And I was like oh man this! I remember this wharf scene being just really good It's not going to be good is it And then it was really good
2: Anyway uh, Riker beams in And throws fish in this guy's lap And roughs him up a little Until mm. he tells him that he delivered the Vulcan ship To a Barolian freighter At Galornden Core And we're supposed to do something with that <laughs>
1: Uh, you know that's not what they told that guy to say, right? They just that was the best take when he said Barolian. Oh yeah, yeah. Went, yeah. Uh-huh, it was uh, sp- definitely sure. supposed to be something else. Sure, I think it was probably supposed to be Bolian, don't you think? Could have been. And he was just like
2: Barolian, and they were like, Ah, that's just that's the best we're gonna get out of this guy. You know the rule. That's what it has to be for the rest of the episode.
1: Now there's gonna be a memory. Someday there will be a clearinghouse of information about this show, and someone's gonna have an article just about the
2: Barolians. Um, Riker dutifully passes this information along to Picard and Data, who ask him to head to Galorndon Core themselves, which is probably a relief because I think he was probably about halfway there at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, then Data detects a transmission from Romulan intelligence to a Barolian ship at Galorndon Core <laughs> with the message 1400. Mm, it's coded. It's clear this is a code, right? A code. Oh, it's not? Oh. Uh, then they beam down, uh, D-Datan is in the middle of showing Spock some Vulcan dreidels, and, uh, Picard interrupts to tell them what they've learned so far, but Selah busts in on him before they can do anything about oh, it.
1: Oh, was she hiding somewhere, and then she just walked right into the scene? It's <laughs> shocking.
2: Well, at this point, Spock puts uh, two and two together and deduces that Pardek has betrayed them. Uh, and then Sila tells them that the reunification will happen, but it's going to be in the form of the Romulan conquest of Vulcan, and then she has them taken away. Mm, yes. People got lots of Enterprise. plans in this one. Right. Exactly. Enterprise gets a message nominally from Picard telling them to stand by at Galorndon Core. Um no one believes that Riker will do this, so this is an entire... This is a waste of everyone's time. Selah even has a backup plan for this. In <laughs> case he doesn't. So this scene, meaningless. I, it's,
1: I don't know. You're right. The whole thing's meaningless. But for some reason, he gropplers Orn's that message. It's not clear why. Uh-huh. He rolls his eyes and makes that angry little face he makes.
2: <laughs> yeah, Worf tells him, it's got the right code. And he says, I'm sure it does. He's already groppled what? it. That thing was groppled all the way to fucking Hades. It's over. He told... He told you to stand by at the place he just ordered you to go? You didn't question that at all? Nope, he knows. Is he it because you him, can't so. see him
1: this time? I don't know what happened between Parts 1 and Part 2, but he was fucking full Groppler Riker in this one again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Selah brings everyone to her office. She gives Spock a speech she's written for him in which he tells the Vulcans to welcome a Romulan peace envoy. He, of course, refuses to read it, so she shows him her deepfake Spock hologram, and then (laughs) locks them all in her office with the hologram and the computer that runs the hologram. And no guards. It's some real
1: Gene-level writing, as it's just as a tribute to Gene.
2: She doesn't know about him that he can, like, he can mind-meld a guard through a wall. We've seen it. We've fucking seen it. He thinks he can mind meld with a probe. Probably, we, probably don't, we don't see the scene, but probably the first thing he try to do is mind meld with this computer, or maybe the hologram.
1: <laughs> and then uh, fucking Picard next to him was like, just use the keyboard!
2: So Spock and Data decide to create a diversion, quote-unquote. Enterprise detects three Vulcan ships crossing the neutral zone, on course to Vulcan, at warp. Yeah, dude, you know, it's a peace envoy. You know what I mean? It's too, too fast, and it's not peaceful anymore. So, and when they call them, they say, "Oh, yeah, 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 yeah." Tune into Channel Two. Spock's gonna make a big announcement about it. Yeah. Uh, and Riker breaks his orders from Picard and goes to intercept them. Seela returns to her office, so that the prisoners are all missing, and a Riker hologram distracts them long enough for a neck pinch and a Widowmaker to take mm-hmm. out her guards.
1: Uh huh.
2: I almost didn't want to mention it, but Riker's got messed up hair. We'll talk about that for an hour.
1: Yeah, it was great. Uh, it's supposed to be great comedic. It's writing, a fun but joke. It just makes anyway, you think a lot about data and how data works. It
2: does. How's you? Enterprise gets <laughs> it's. It's very bad. <laughs> Enterprise gets a priority one distress call about a plague on Deleuzean Four, and of course, no other ships are nearby. But before Riker can take the bait, Spock's message plays, and it doesn't matter because it was already also altered, mm-hmm. and it says that the ships carry a Romulan invasion force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data knocks Seal out with a nerve pinch, and then the three of them make their escape. Uh, Enterprise rolls up on the Vulcan ships who are trying to retreat back to the neutral zone, but as soon as Enterprise gets there, a warbird decloaks and ices all the ships, Dude. killing 2,000 of their own men rather than letting them be taken prisoner.
1: Yeah, Jordy's there to say it. He Little it, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, he's on the bridge for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Back in the caves, the Romulan separatists tell Picard... I mean, listen, don't worry. They say they're different caves that Parduk never knew about. But back in the caves, <laughs> someone was very <laughs> worried about that and not worried about anything else in the whole show.
1: It's great. It's just a, this is a real... <laughs> hey, I think people think highly of this episode, but it, it must be because they didn't see it. No one's seen this episode <laughs>
2: They're just like, oh, it was nice, the
1: time Spock showed up. Wasn't that really cool? It was
2: like, oh, yeah, Spock was there, and then he was doing a cowboy diplomacy on Romulus. It's great. It's a great
1: episode. And then you watch it, and you go, wow, this is really written. This was subpar work even for TNG writers.
2: Yeah. They tell Picard that they're going to continue to work towards reunification, and uh, Spock tells them he's staying behind to help them reach a new enlightenment and evolution towards Vulcan philosophy. Basically, he just thinks their whole society is going to change and that's what's going to bring about reunification. And then Picard shares a cheeky mind meld with him so he can make peace with his dead daddy and credits Mm. roll.
1: Well, those have got to be some very secret caves if his plan is just to hang out.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And by the way, not not to get some prosthetic forehead bones or have come up with another identity so people don't call him Spock all the time.
1: (laughs) He doesn't say that part for sure.
2: Matthew, uh, what's this episode about?
1: Hey man, if something seems too good to be true for fuck's sake <laughs> It's at least one episode every week, but we're up to two this week. Two with the same take. Hey, you know Spock thinks he's gonna um he's gonna change drama and society and they're gonna they're gonna reunify and even though everyone in the entire episode looks at him and goes, What? Yep. Why? What it that doesn't even make sense. They hate you guys. He's still like, no, 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 I believe in this, though. This is going to happen.
2: Uh, Did and you miss the tra- briefing about how this is a paranoid police state all the time <laughs> right now here?
1: <laughs> and then he thinks, I don't know. I don't know if he ever thinks it's really going well, but, like, everything seems to be going well. Everyone's so open and interested and even, the even like you said, even the government's into it or whatever. But, no, nah, man, it's all just a big fucking trick or whatever. So, anyway, uh, it's a four like it was the other time, but I'm so sick of this. Because let's write something else, if we can. Yeah. What about you? Uh,
2: okay. Here's, here's my cooked take. Sure. I suppose the message of this episode is that history is less the result of politics and diplomacy than it is of broad cultural forces and evolution. <laughs> Pardek tells Picard the young people aren't going to let the old people hold on to their prejudices. Neral, who's a young man himself, says the same thing about the Senate, and Spock tells Picard that what will eventually bring about reunification is the evolution of the Romulan people towards a compatible philosophy. This is certainly one common view of history. Sure. Uh, The last hundred or so pages of War and Peace are kind of an essay along these same lines. Mm -hmm. And at least it's a take even if it's not a sci-fi take.
1: Um, And even if the
2: one of the guys who was talking about it was actually a trickster who was trying to...
1: I mean, two, of them, trick were, them. two, two of them. Two right. Yeah, two of them were two, tricksters two, trying to get them to reveal their yeah, sources and information or whatever.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess it's one way to think about history. I gave it as many as five. Nice. In uh, terms yeah. of execution, mm-hmm. this is a very talky episode, and you know I usually like my talky TNGs. Sure, I know that about you for sure. But it um, it still manages to leave out a few key things that would have made it great. For instance, why is Spock so committed to reunification? What reason does he think these two people should unite, apart from the fact that the Romulans left Vulcan 2,000 years ago? Mm-hmm. What is Pardex's motivation for this betrayal? Is it just so that he gets invited to a few more state dinners and doesn't get ousted with the rest of the old senators?
1: Yeah, cuz this is like the longest of long cons. They've been friends uh-huh. for like
2: 80 or 90 years or something. Uh-huh. And he's just going to flip on him to do what to to send a couple of thousand troops to Vulcan in a, <laughs> in an invasion that I don't think anybody thinks it's nothing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about it. I got so much to say.
2: Fun- and fundamentally, why do the Separatists want reunification? What does Vulcan mean to them? What do they think their lives would be like post-reunification?
1: All good questions. Is it
2: is it more to them than just an old book and some dice? Yeah. Like, this is a two-parter, and they do zero work laying that no, out.
1: honestly, they should have just um, done away with the B-plot, for Christ's sake.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not necessary in any way since it just Spock leads to the reprograms movie. the hologram so that the message that goes out warns that it's an invasion. <laughs> right. So nothing that the Enterprise did mattered.
1: Yeah, they could have just had the Enterprise show up then. That would have been fine, except to, again. I'm glad they didn't because I got all the good bar scenes, but geez.
2: Yeah. Uh, Picard and Spock mostly hold the dialogue down okay. Sela and Neral do a less strong job, and there are definitely a couple too many jokes this week. Mm. Um. Best I can do on this one is a four.
1: Okay. It is crazy that Spock thinks he and some cavers are going to reunite <laughs> Romulus and Vulcan. Does he have Namco Bandai Syndrome as well? <laughs> it's a good question. Is it inherited? Everyone in the episode says to him, that's stupid. That's, what are you saying? The thing you, you said will never happen. That's very dumb. Yeah. Why do you think it? And instead of like giving reasons, he's just like, I just
2: believe it. Yeah, if you tell Data your plan and he goes, well, think about it. That's not a good sign. God, I wish he had. That would have been twice this week. I would have heard
1: somebody say, think about it. Selah <laughs> um, thought she was going to conquer Vulcan without any any prelude or any kind of conflict. Just show up and say, ha ha, too late. And and then we find out she sent 2,000 troops. Yeah. I don't think you can conquer Bunker Hill with 2,000
2: men. This is like a mean,
1: whole planet with, like, billions of people on it.
2: I definitely would not expect you to be able to hold the city of San Jose with 2,000 troops. It seems
1: bonkers, and especially because what we learned about Vulcan in, the, in
2: Enterprise is that they're pretty fucking militaristic. I mean, <laughs> sure, even and the Enterprise, hadn't happened yet, but, like, you know they got on wounds all over the place and Lerpas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just, um... Yeah.
1: Does she have Namco Bandai syndrome? <laughs> Everybody just,
2: in this episode's got Namco Bandai syndrome. I
1: don't understand anyone's plan, and no one explains anything. Everything that everyone posited in this episode is very stupid. Everyone's a dumb person, except for Riker, who's mysteriously back on his game. Yep. And just knows the score. Last week he was uh, just in the dark, no idea what was happening. But this week, for some reason, he's just on top of it, so...
2: Well, he got angry when Clem Dukachin refused mm. to talk to him. And I think that it shook him out of his torpor a little. Well, and then Worf, like I said, he accidentally.
1: He was unfamiliar with the layout of these controls, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Blew the shit out of that combat vessel.
2: Um, you think we, There was a scene we didn't see where Riker called uh, Worf and Troy together and maybe Jordy And he said, listen, man. I'm gonna have to explain all of this to Picard when he comes back. <laughs> right now, we're doing a bad job. So, <laughs> uh, no more holodeck time for a couple of days until until we get this all worked out. And uh, listen, I don't know if Starfleet's gonna offer me another ship at this point. So, yeah, I think that I, I-, I am worried that I turned down one too many. I
1: think that ship, the ship that I'm going to be captain of, has sailed,
2: and uh,
1: it's uh, it's not coming back. Uh, just a three for me. I didn't really understand. Okay, so remember after episode one, we were like, at least I said, I think this was the least work a part one had ever done. And yeah. Like, now I see why, because there really wasn't anything. They didn't have anything to do. There weren't two parts worth of episode.
0: Yeah, this there was realm.
1: nothing. They didn't come up with anything. It, what they came up with was bonkers. Um, world building. Not just robes, dude. They wear hoods and big old shoulder pads, too. You see in these Mm -hmm. Romulan (laughs) get-ups? Boy. Yo, I think I saw Draymond Green walk to one of the finals games in that thing.
2: They do all have wild shoulder pads in this one.
1: It's insane fashion. Uh, The Klingon Empire has been trying to break the Romulan information net for years, but Spork and Data crack it in a hot minute once they're sitting there together.
2: Well, data cracked forty-two of the forty-three ciphers, or whatever the fuck, and uh, Spock helped him out with old number twenty-seven.
1: Yeah, and uh, then they, they killed that one. Um, the Andorian Blues, which you said—what'd you say?
2: Was it Earthbound track? What'd you say? I said it sounded like King of Casino. King
1: of, oh, oh, the Andorian Blues one. Oh, that one I thought sounded like Stevie Wonder. So I was. Oh,
2: oh no, you're right. Andorian Blues is what she plays when. When he asks, wow, well, yeah. it's a very frustrating scene. Yes, <laughs> sir, to play the blues, and she plays whatever that is. Yeah. Then he says, "Here, let me show you something," and plays a jazz song.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, like those are identical to him, I guess. Yeah. Well, all, all
1: uh, not only it's all jazz, good, but all music is jazz to Riker. <laughs> yeah. Except for Dixie. Um. Anyway, so I thought I recognized some Stevie Wonder in there. Uh, suck Salt. Fucking goddammit. Um, Amory <laughs> uh, with a, m- a million fucking hands. Uh octu and Melota. A reunification, the central plot point of this episode, which is a crazy idea. Almost nobody supports and is a major problem with the plot because I don't understand how anyone could go about. You wrote the episode. And you wrote for everyone in it to say this is stupid. I think they do this <laughs> a lot. Where they are get a little nervous about the thing they wrote, and then they made, they hedge by making the characters go, well, that's
2: stupid. But I mean, it's... sometimes they do when they're not actively making fun of their own show, like in that Captain Proton episode.
1: Yeah, that's right. Sci-fi is dumb. <clears throat> um, more galorend and core. This hollow Spock that we can do with today's technology, that we could have done with 10 years ago technology. But I think everyone's bugging when they see this thing in this episode. Right
2: like you're doing a hollow spock that's bullshit her her fucking busted plan was for him to read this speech that she'd given him because a real spock would be better because he could take questions she She was gonna let him take questions live (laughs) this is what i'm saying there's something
1: wrong with her i think they should probably do a brain scan on see there's something not right there
2: You know, I don't think humans and Romulans
1: really can have babies. I'm not sure.
2: I think she played a lot of tackle football in the (laughs) prison camp where she was born. (laughs) And maybe she's a little spongy up there.
1: Yeah, she was going to have him sit out there. No problem with that at all. But I swear to God, you better answer him the cool Romulan way, all right? I'm not going to, like, monitor. I have other things to do. So just do a good job at the press conference. Um... Again, they were going to conquer Vulcan with 2,000 men. There's a lot of stuff that threatens to change the balance of power in the Alpha Quadrant, but it's stuff that could never happen, according to everyone. So I gave it a two.
2: I think I just overall liked this episode a little more than you did. Okay. I credited Spock's underground movement, the Romulan political new wave. Sela believes she can hold Vulcan with as few as 2,000 <laughs> Trojan horse troops, plus whatever was in that cloak to Derodix.
1: It's true, yeah, they didn't have that
2: warbird around. Klingon opera and Andorian blues. Um, the Ferengi trader, Omeg, has some kind of papers that Riker can revoke. That's right, buddy. Hey, commander Riker, he's a whole Commander.
1: And he's in yep. charge of papers in this quadrant, so you better watch right. he out. He
2: can make it, somehow he can make it so Omeg can't trade in the quadrant that has Amory's piano bar. <laughs> um, so there's some, there's some world building, although Seelah's plan getting foiled does put things mostly back to square one by the end. Um. That's a three for me. Okay. <clears throat> Characterization. So there's definitely, they definitely do some work here with Spock and Data and their differing views on humanity and as an aspiration. And we have Picard playing the cold, skeptical role, and that emphasizes his differences with a missing fourth person here, Kirk. Yeah. Uh, Tragically, William Shatner was dead, so he couldn't appear (laughs) as Kirk in any Star Trek production. (laughs) It's true, he's been, yep. It's dead a long time. (laughs) Um, Picard knows Riker will go after the ships, even with orders to the contrary. For once, he's left the right person in command. He's not sitting there thinking, should I have just left Geordi in command (laughs) and figured out how to explain that to Starfleet? Told Riker there was something
1: something very important on this pen. It's a C-plot that really needs his work.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to need... Here's the thing; it's a shuttle mission, and that's why we need you. You're the best pilot we got, buddy. This is all on you.
1: Uh but you. This says I'm just delivering this, uh, this ceremonial relic to. Uh, it says I'm going back to that planet with Luton. Does that seem like a good idea? Yep. No, you gotta go though. It's very that's, important.
2: Listen, we're we're just, this, we're not a military organization, and this the diplomacy. What can I say? You remember it's, that horse
1: so we gave one. him? Remember the horse, right? Okay. Well, that was like. That was an Asian horse, but it turns but out. Then we these, got there
2: and looked around. <laughs>
1: they black guys, man. We didn't deliver the right relic, and uh, this is something we just gotta correct. Gotta do a good job. So get out there, buddy. Give it your best.
2: This is uh, some kind of mask. I uh, we we took <laughs> it from some uh, some junior officer named Cisco.
1: He claims they have the largest collection of African art that still exists. There there were like four masks in there. It's not good.
2: Yeah. No one asks why isn't your family from New Orleans? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know. Uh, record doesn't know the difference between blues and jazz. Worf thinks everyone reads Klingon Wikipedia. Surely this four-armed pianist in some shitty dive bar near Quaylor 2 knows at least one theme from Act 2 and Meloda.
1: Did you know do you remember when Parjan had to ask everyone in every bar if they would play Jolene? Yes. That's a, that's a famous song. But she still got yeah. shot down. So a lot of time.
2: (laughs) So I'm just
1: But no, this lady, she she knows all
2: about it. Yeah. Um again they did some work. I'm giving it as much as a four. I would understand if you didn't.
1: Uh let's see. Riker and Co. can only be smart off screen between episodes. They managed to figure out who was on that ship they blew up. I don't know how. Uh, then Riker chats up this sultry Vishnu or (laughs) Durga maybe I don't know which is the one with all the arms Um, sure like only he can Uh, and then Riker says to use one of those uh, female slaves sleeves I don't care (laughs) about them yeah he's very dismissive about them you you know they ain't got a choice in this buddy Uh, Riker Groppler Zorns that message from Picard uh, like you said, everyone already knows he's not going to pay attention to that to, to that message. <clears throat> Picard is smart enough to pretend to admire Kirk in front of Spock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why do Picard and Spock spend so much time smirking at each other after they take Sela hostage?
2: So That's like, a very good question. <laughs>
1: it's almost like they thought there was going to be some special effects built into that scene so they had to hold really still. Because they just smile at each other for a long time. There's still shit happening. Uh, then they smile at each other six inches apart when the episode fades out like a couple of creeps. Just standing there smiling at each other. Sela uh, yet again was hiding behind the door. And then again up some stairs in a cave. She's always pulling our hidey tricks. Sela um, is cool and not a nerd like Vulcans with all their long words. <laughs>
2: She did say that the speech used a lot of unnecessarily long words, and then it didn't. <laughs> Isn't she supposed to be, like, some kind of deep
1: strategic thinker?
2: Why does she sound like a
1: bully from a teen movie?
2: Well, if you want to talk about what is CELA, it's this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> it's just...
1: Um, why doesn't Data ask Spork how he cracked that last code? Shouldn't that bug the shit out of him? Oh, you would think so. He's like, I've been working on it all day. I haven't been able to crack this one. And Spock sits down and does it in like 10 seconds. Data doesn't even ask anything about it. It's fine. Or,
2: or maybe all the codes were equally hard, and it takes a certain amount of time to crack each one, and he did 42 of them. And then Spock comes in, and he's real excited about cracking the last one. <laughs> Could be. And data, and data Data's too classy to be like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I would have gotten to it at roughly the same time also. Oh, it's you just, did it. Uh, You're a hero. Oh, you, Hey, you did it, buddy. Good job. I you? loosened it up for you, but it's fine.
1: <laughs> uh, data, the computer can't remember what Riker's hair looks like. Yeah. As always, we must remind listeners that Doctor Soong was a hardware guy and not a software guy. Yeah, because something's always wrong with
2: data software. He's
1: he has eidetic memory. Uh huh. He
2: has. He just has an image occasion. of Riker like in he his head. Be, exactly. When he needs to be terrifying. He can repeat things in their voice, take over the ship, do mm-hmm. whatever. He remembers everything, but for some reason he gave Riker messed up hair. <laughs> like like he thinks of Riker as post-sex Riker. That's I, the image of him he keeps in his brain.
1: He's right. I delete all other images of Will Riker. I only keep this one. So in fact, even when he's speaking to me in real time, I just see this picture in front of my face. Um, I get that it was supposed to be a joke, but I just couldn't believe he didn't know the haircut. Yeah. Uh, I did really love the wharf scene, as I pointed out, and that was enough to give it a four from me.
2: <laughs> what about quick ones? Mm.
1: <clears throat> I didn't say it last time, but this pro console guy is, uh, I think his name's Maquis in that Dark Page episode.
2: Well, yes. They go, <laughs>
1: they go back to this guy. <laughs> uh, I forgot how many lines Jimmy James got in this episode. I yeah, sort of thought he was a part one character and probably didn't show up in part two, but now he's still around. I know Frank's really plays the bone. Didn't we find that out? That he really plays the trombone and that's yes. why Riker yeah. does. But um, he looked like somebody who maybe had never been within 150 feet of a piano.
2: Uh, his hands and arms. He had very awkward positioning, maybe because <laughs> there were already two people standing behind that piano. <laughs> could be. Fell and he grounded. could only just be like way over on the side. Yeah.
1: I was just watching that going, oh, that looks terrible. Um, what is this Ferengi so afraid of when Riker puts hands on him? This is uh-huh. Starfleet. What's he going to do, palm strike him? <laughs> yep.
2: I don't know why he freaks out like that. Uh, uh, well, it was many years before we met a physically intimidating Ferengi after this. So, uh, Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, I can't have one friend for one day. Pardek pretended to be Spock's friend for 80 years. <laughs> that boy is patient and he is kind. I don't know how you would even pull that off.
0: I uh, mean,
2: you have to presume that he had a working relationship with Spock for 80 years. And then at some point, Sela showed up with this hairbrain scheme and he just got <laughs> dragged into it. I mean, it really is.
1: It's a very dumb scheme that Spock was even dumber for falling for. Yeah. Why does Sila have three huge cupcakes on her desk? Did you oh, notice it's a good that?
2: question. What what were those?
1: Is it her birthday? Did someone drop those off? Because this is a bad birthday for her, if it's her birthday. Her whole dumb scheme got foiled. There were three big cupcakes on her desk. Her office was not as cool as that guy with the eagles, for sure. Uh, that's it for me.
2: You know, Google is usually pretty good, and you can Google stuff in natural language, and it can tell you the answer. But <laughs> it does it does not know how to answer. How old was Cela in unification, too?
1: Oh yeah, no, it's never gonna know how to answer that. Got some, got to do some timeline math. Uh, yeah, if uh,
2: if. She was born in twenty three forty five. Now, what year was Unification two? Well, supposedly,
1: supposedly wasn't it? Didn't they say twenty years before season three is when the Enterprise C stuff went down?
2: Yeah, no. This says she was born in twenty three forty five. So now, well, if I go to right Unification then. two, we're about to find out that she was. They
1: must have been doing some estimations then, because that's not. I don't think that's twenty years.
2: Uh, no, it's, it's, it takes place in the 2360s, late 2360s.
1: Yeah, yeah, but is, I thought, like, the first season was 2364 or something. Four,
2: maybe? Yeah.
1: Well, that was season three. Uh, God damn it.
2: But well, well, what year is that? <laughs> We're doing some Hold Star on. Trek math. Can Does you... It, uh, I, I I get it. It's star date two three. Yeah, no, this is star,
1: easy. You just subtracted the star dates. Okay. Everyone knows this. Twenty
2: three sixty eight. So she was twenty two or twenty three in this episode. Okay, canonically. Yeah. Cool. Um. But did yeah, it say, does say it say
1: that this episode took place on her twenty third birthday. It's important for me to know. That's
2: a it's a very good <laughs> question. But that's what birthday it would have been. Okay. If you want to know. Go for Big it. Big clunker right up at the top dialogue wise.
0: Mm.
2: Ambassador, with great respect for all you've achieved on behalf of the Federation, this sort of cowboy diplomacy will not easily be tolerated anymore. (laughs) What? Will not easily be tolerated anymore?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like he forgot the line and no one caught it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Picard says... (laughs) Picard says he was a great man and Spock says he was a great representative of his people and of the Federation. And then pointedly doesn't say, but he never came to my Little League games. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps you are aware of the small part I played in the peace overtures with the Klingons. But if not, it will be in theaters all across the country next (laughs) month, perhaps on a $2 Tuesday. That's right. Yeah, he... uh...
1: He's a, a great marketer, That's Bach. Yeah.
2: He really gets everyone out to see Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. He put butts in the seats. Hey, Kavada, since we're here anyway, I want to hack into the Romulan internet and steal celebrity nudes. <laughs> and for some reason, I will be successful because all of Romulan cybersecurity is less competent than an android that goes haywire twice a season. Sure. Uh, this little guy, Detan... You know him?
1: Yeah, the little guy who comes up and wants to talk to Spock so bad and shows him his book yeah. and his
2: dice or whatever. Fucking well, chaos. later he becomes the proconsul of New Romulus. Oh, in the STOs? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I didn't remember that at all, but good for did him. You
2: think it was, did you think it was weird, Matt, that no one in the whole episode asked Pardek how he got double pink eye? <laughs> or even if he's ever eaten pizza hey, in man. Boston?
1: I'm just going to tell you, you get single pink eye, you're getting double pink eye. That's how it works. <laughs> sorry to fucking burst your bubble you've never don't even act like you've you don't get it you can't talk about this this is insanity <laughs> if you get pink eye it's you're good you're for sure getting it twice
2: <laughs> <laughs> well it looked like his appliance did not sit well with him because yeah. his eyes were very pink and puffy in this whole episode
1: someone probably was like spock if you're here on on Vulcan, you should probably wear the forehead and
2: stuff. And he's like, I can get my eyes all red. It's <laughs> bullshit. Um, no one in this bar is bothered that Amory keeps stopping her song every 12 <laughs> seconds to quip with Riker. <laughs> it's true. Like, it's just so many false starts. I would be irritated, at least. Plays a
1: few notes and then has to talk shit with Billy Boy.
2: Matthew, have you ever seen a portrait of uh, Charles II of Spain? Oh, no, but I guess I should look it up. Hold on. Gotta bing it. Well, Neral has a real Habsburg jaw, and it made me wonder if his parents were uncle and niece also. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Hey, I just gotta say something. Yeah. He
1: hired someone to paint that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And that's what came out. And somehow that uh, got out to the general public.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, there are reports about this guy that he swallowed everything he ate whole <laughs> because he couldn't get his teeth together to chew. So <coughs> I don't think I think there just wasn't much you could do about it. huh? I'm just I'm I'm just saying imagine how much worse he must have
1: actually looked that when this came out. He went, oh, man,
2: looks good. Looks good. <laughs> looks, good looks good. Looks good. Looks good. All right. <laughs> Yeah, he tells the portrait artist, thanks for not making fun of my genitals, and then the <laughs> portrait artist whispers to someone, I thought I was. That's right. Um, when Selah says, this is the android I've come to respect in battle, yeah, Data sounds so hurt when he says his name. Like, how could she know who she was facing on the Sutherland and not know his name? <laughs> that's obviously a dumb power move.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Uh, then these Romulan ships are traveling at warp one. So, you know, they'll reach Vulcan in 20 or 30 years. It's pretty standard. That's what—that's uh, how
1: you conduct a real... Maybe that was the plan. You make a real <laughs> effort at peace. Where we've got a ticking clock. We've got 30 years to work this out. Yard two planets. <laughs> and then Riker blew the whole thing.
2: <clears throat> um, then I said, how did Data mess up Riker's hair? But we've covered that quite a bit. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I presume that these old Vulcan buggies that look like NPC cars from F-Zero had to be destroyed because they just can't physically outrun the Enterprise. Right. But is that pause after the Warbird decloaks before they fire supposed to be like an argument between t <laughs> and Tay about whether they're really going to ice all those you, soldiers? You
1: said I was captain this week. It's my turn to make the decision. You sound weird. No, you, you're the one
2: who's Everyone backs me up on this. They would say you're <laughs> the one with the weird voice. Um, I right, Matthew, do you recognize Pardek?
1: No, I've known him as Pardek for so long, I don't.
2: Well, he's Commodore Mendez <laughs> from the Menagerie.
1: Oh, shit.
2: And also... The Centauri Prime Minister who gets assassinated. He is uh, uh, tri- tri-
1: tri- Trivago, I
2: almost said. That can't be right. I mean, it's like Trivago. <laughs> I didn't write it down, but you're in the neighborhood. You're right. Yes, that's true.
1: Oh, yeah. He gets it good. Yeah. It's a better show.
2: Um, Okay, so Sila
1: hmm.
2: is 22 or 23. It's 23rd birthday. She had command of that whole yeah redemption scheme uh, so apparently
1: she was gonna be the point man on the whole Klingon thing. uh-huh
2: that failed that blew up in her face. yeah, pretty bad. Then she's running this you know attack on Vulcan.
1: I mean this one seems like a desperation
2: scheme. this is this is actually actually presumably an act of war. yeah, I believe so. This one also fails. Um, this one was always going to fail. Do you think she has a pretty good career after this or? <laughs> Cuz she is exercising a lot of power and discretion for a 22-year-old, but things aren't really working out. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it, right? I mean, I guess. Uh, she I had need... that other Romulan in uh that older guy who Lovar? could take the fall. Yeah, yeah, she had she Movar g- to take the fall. She gave it to Movar the previous one.
1: I assume she's going to find a way to have everyone blame pro-consul whatever in this one. Yeah,
2: it's this going to be Naral's fault here. Yeah, she's it's going to be like look him. at his look at his crazy jaw
1: cuz I don't want to invoke STOs the way you do, but we know she has a career in that.
2: So, yes. <clears throat> yeah, the fun thing about playing Star Trek online is every named character has <laughs> a particularly fold. of the Romulans because there aren't that many. Sure has a full arc yep
1: yeah i didn't even the realize romulan... that about that little boy who was
2: yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. He becomes the, he's him. the leader of the romulan faction in star okay. trek online um Sela's the big antagonist the captain who di- who discovered iconia sure uh she's the empress before Sila. oh damn i thought yeah, she died so... there she made it out huh yeah, it's unclear they warp out of there just in case the Romulans don't fix their ship too good. But...
1: I definitely, I mean definitely when we did that episode, I got the feeling they were very happy the Romulans were going to blow up and not going to help them.
2: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the that's the thing about that. Anyway, I gave best actor to Spock, though he definitely gets the best lines. Sure. And worst actor to Omeg, mm. the fat Ferengi.
1: He never learned to speak hypothetical.
2: I never learned to speak hypothetical. Ugh. You're not you're not grand niggas, sick.
1: Yeah, don't even try yeah. You're a Wally Sean, you could try that line, but otherwise fucking yeah. ask the writers to give you only straight material.
2: Ooh. Hey, the winner last week was Deep Space Nine. I gotta say, based on these first two, they got a shot. They do have a shot. <laughs> they definitely have a shot. Uh this week we watched The Darkness and the Light. <laughs>
1: I assume those are going to sound totally normal on your on your feed.
2: Yeah, no, it's Zoom. Um, yeah. uh, Zoom treats it as background noise because it's optimized for speech. But yes, on my ah. recording, it'll sound normal. Okay, cool.
1: Uh, some vedics are having a sleepaway camp, enjoying some campfire activities. When fucking snore out of nowhere, their campfire blasts one of them to death. That's the wrong campfire. You don't <laughs> use that campfire. <laughs> Uh, credits i guess shit i don't know maybe not credits yet no no we're not at credits yet meanwhile kira's doctor's appointment is interrupted by odo nobody gets any privacy in the military
2: no uh, <laughs> not even in the infirmary
1: he tells her one one of her old buddies was killed by a hunter probe hidden in a candle i guess they were calling that a candle uh she is still pregnant she has a sore back because of it i know this because the actor's doing lots of business uh, She gets a mean voicemail that says That's one Along with a picture of her dead friend There's the credits uh, The working theory is that Somebody's making threats against the Shikar Resistance cell You might remember that's uh, all of Kira's Old war buddies um, In the repliment Kira expresses her frustration to O'Brien That she can't go out and do street justice Because she's pregnant Gross but right. O'Brien says she has to protect his baby. <laughs> Just in case you forgot whose baby it is. One uh, of Akira's old friends calls and asks Kira to protect her. Uh, Kira says she can stay at the station until they solve this murder. This lady is all shadowy and lives in a secret location, but it's also very whiny. I don't know. I don't, I don't think the shadowy part really pays off. Um, yeah. Dax and Worf go to pick this lady up, and they bicker along the way about Tongo, Ferengi, and stuff. You know, the usual.
0: hmm
2: Then they go to... And, by the way, Jadzia is very nice here and doesn't mention how the last time they went on vacation, Worf became a terrorist. So he should <laughs> yeah. shut his fucking mouth. Became a terrorist
1: just to win an argument with his girlfriend.
2: Um. Anyway, they go
1: to transport this lady, and she dies in horrible agony. Yeah. Could it have been an accident? No, it could not have been. Um, Kira reveals this lady was actually the bravest. Because she wasn't in the resistance cell, but she always passed them information, even in fear of her life. Something. Kira goes to pray at the temple, and uh, Random Padded Quarks is playing a message that says that's two. Uh, This is like a bad murder mystery novel, where they got it. The guy's got to send a taunting message every time. During a briefing with Odo, the screen gets all scratchy, and then a message plays that reads, that's three, and her friend uh, Mabara will no longer be honoring his Dajara, except in heaven. <laughs> He's done for. Or Mobra? They can call him Mobra.
2: Um, uh, they do say Mobra a bunch, yeah.
1: Two of Kira's old buddies, Ambusher, ambusher in her quarters, uh... You know, case of mistaken identity, they thought she was the murderer or whatever. Um, I think we saw these peeps in that one where Shakar was way too nice to that militia captain in that ravine. Yes. He was <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I I might have done the same thing. And then he looked around at everyone behind him and was like, this fucking guy, is, is he serious? Um, I guess anyone can make Colonel, huh? <laughs> he just walked right in, right through the middle of the, the bottom of this ravine. It's unbelievable. Uh, and that anyway. worked out
2: for him. That guy marched into Kai Nguyen's office and told him that Shikar had the support of the entire Bajoran military. <laughs> it's true.
1: It pays to be nice sometimes. Um, anyway, these two are here to protect Kira and her Irish baby. Uh, Cadet Nog, he's in this. He helps Dax filter the messages and they figure out that the voice in the message is actually Kira's. Kira's the murderer.
2: Yeah, by the way, is Nox still, it doesn't come up, but is Nox still here on summer break? I don't know. Like, I know it was just two episodes ago that he and Jake were fighting about his messy quarters or whatever.
1: Oh, well, funny story, he was about to go back to the academy, but then it occurred to him, the ceremonial chimes. He had <laughs> right. to rush back and tell Cisco.
2: Right. Yeah, it's the, it's the weird rhythms.
1: Now he's stuck here always doing the exact same thing, just listening to sounds and telling people that it's... It's Kira's voice. Um. Anyway, her, just then her quarters explode. Uh, she rushes down there and is intent on opening up the whole corridor to the icy cuddles of deep space. So she can see her friend's exploded body parts, I guess. Yeah. But uh, she collapses just before she gets there. This damn baby. When she wakes up, she tells Odo a long, gross story about how Shakar definitely started grooming her as a 13-year-old.
2: Yeah, I did not like
1: hearing that she was 13. And how she loved killing even when she was very young. Odo tells her he has a list of suspects, so she beams right to his office after he leaves to steal it. It's time for street justice, finally.
2: Not only does she steal it, but she wants him to know she stole it because she deletes it from his computer. (laughs) It's, It's a real fuck you to Odo. Um...
1: Anyway, Odo, uh, he figures out what happened, but she's already gone. Uh, She crosses a few people off the list and then heads to a barren planet near the DMZ to encounter one of the suspects. This dude's ready for her and stuns her and puts her in a restraining field and wakes her up. And then he plays creepy psycho games and hides in the shadows. He
2: he uses a trick hologram to distract her exactly like in Unification 2. (laughs) It's true.
1: Second time this week.
2: Uh, he he says
1: all this shit about her like she's an animal or something. And how it, the animal's been brought into the light where it can't hide or whatever. And they argue about the merits of terrorism for a while. Anyway, this creep's going to steal her baby and raise it as his own. Um, But she convinces him to give her a sedative before he starts digging into her. But I guess the herbs she's been taking... That's her,
2: Chekhov's pregnancy herbs. Yes, makes
1: her feed on the rays or whatever. So then she beats his ass and shoots him when he gets close. And then uh, Odo, Sisko, and Bashir show up for her monologue. And she obliges. <laughs> and then they all go home.
2: What, uh, what was this one about? Um, in War, Mercy is a Weakness.
1: Okay, it's a a cynical
2: take. It's not a Star Trek take. It's the opposite of Picard refusing to unleash his terrible gif on the Borg, for instance. (laughs) He was going to meme them to death. He was. And it doesn't need to be sci-fi at this point. This story could have been told at any point after the invention of explosives or even about someone who set a fire in a castle to kill a lord or whatever.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, You didn't really say it. This, This dude is... Not going after all members of the Shakar resistance cell. He doesn't go after Shakar, for instance. He's going after the ones who specifically killed Ghaul. Gull Gull, whatever. Pirak.
1: Yeah, okay, sure.
2: By setting off a bomb at his compound, killing 12 12 members, 12 Cardassians, including his family, and burning this guy's face half up. Yeah, this guy's really mad because he's got one of them burned faces. And then it's the mercy that he shows her that he thinks makes him a better person that uh gets him killed. <laughs> it's true. So, <laughs> you know, points for being about something, but not a lot of points. I gave it as many as 3.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I had the more basic, you can't really put your past behind you. Interesting. Even if you think you've moved on and that things are better now and everyone's everyone else has moved on too and society's just changed and different and we're all just uh, adapting to this new normal. Uh, if you did 500 murders, something's probably <laughs> going to crop up at some point. It's a cynical DS9 take. It's a different one than the one you had, but it's still a cynical DS9 take. True. But I don't have a strong opinion about it either way, so I gave it a four. It seems like maybe that could happen to you.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Yeah, you could see it. Um, how'd they do execution wise this week? Uh this um uh,
1: <laughs> this ham fisted mystery novel brought to the small screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, well I guess instead of clever killing scenes and like delightful twists, you get some technobabble assassinations and uh <laughs> well, local local theater actor Nana Visitor.
2: Yeah, they thought of one technobabble explanation hunter probes this and case all about them. <laughs> sort of did keep bringing it up
1: <laughs> I don't know if you knew this but Kira's too old for this shit I mean in this case it's pregnant but it's the same thing yeah. um, it's not Fargo but maybe somebody saw Fargo when did Fargo come out I don't know um, then it gets creepy in a few ways that I did not enjoy but it was also kind of boring and the killer's just some rando we don't meet until like Three minutes before he eats it. So it's just a lot of who cares for me. I gave it a three.
2: What about you? Well, this episode is very fraught.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: and this, as you said, the novice visitor does get a monologue and some community acting time. Mm. But at least it's her biggest outing since war showed up.
1: It's true. I I was uh, excited to see that she got to do something.
2: I wasn't sure if it was satisfying or unsatisfying that Kira really has no second thoughts about her actions during the occupation this week.
1: No, nope, her take is uh was all just fair game.
2: I mean, it feels a little regressive from season one, or from whatever duet was, or mm-hmm. um, you know. Not this Cardassian, etc.
1: <laughs> well, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened yet, so it was still totally right. cool for
2: her to just be like, Nope, terrorist till I die, motherfucker. Yeah, and on the other hand, this week we learned that 15 million people died during the occupation. That's a big number. Um, I think it's also a miss that no one even mentions Shakar the man, as opposed to the resistance cell. He's yeah, she... the whole first minister right now. And she's supposed to be boning him, right? And, and also her boyfriend. Yeah, it is weird. So, yeah, presumably his security is scrambling to figure this out, too, right? Well, I hope and she sent it's a only, message. It's only once you hear uh, Prin talk about the actual attack on Gulparak that you learn that uh, Shakar wasn't involved. So it seems like... You know, they should have been working with them. This shouldn't have been Kira's and Deep Space Nine's problem necessarily. Yeah.
1: What the hell was
2: uh, Duncan Rigier unavailable or something? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe he's pricey. You got to fly him down from Canada.
1: Uh, I don't know if we checked his cameo rate right? because
2: that's a that's a great fucking question.
1: <laughs> that's the kind of thing that I I use to measure people's value of their how much they value their own time. He's to see not if, be on here. You're taking on Cameo. <laughs> He's not on Cameo. Did they like our Canadians allowed to be on there?
2: I mean, or I don't, don't know why works. they wouldn't. You know, who did come up in this search is Robert Duncan McNeil. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course he would. It's a lot of Duncan's. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's a four. Okay, four for me. Uh, world building. Um, hunter probes, remat detonators. Yeah, absolutely. A bunch of resistance stuff. Yeah. Kira's transporter tricks. I ended up giving it the standard three. I could see less. Oh, are you opening the door? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Because I
0: gave
1: it a two.
2: I see. Well, you know the rules. No fanny packs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Like you said, 15 million is the number placed on the dead in this one from the occupation. Um Worf asserts that being in Starfleet means he knows lots of Ferengi rules of acquisition or something.
2: He says that he's a graduate of Starfleet Academy. Yes. But that makes no sense.
1: Yeah, I don't know why that would be covered in the standard curriculum. Yeah. Uh, Like you said, Romat Detonator meant to mess with transporter function. It's a Romulan device that has... uh Proliferated. Hunter drones, some day in the life of uh, occupying Cardi Gull stuff. I didn't find it was very additive. It's just a two for me. Well, characterization.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say Deep Space Nine at the start of this had some promise to win the week. <laughs> was not scoring well with you, at least. No.
1: Truth be told, I found them all to be of similar quality. Um, Kira is so pregnant it makes her sick. She joined the resistance when she was thirteen. Shakar was her boss then. Now he's getting that crinkle cut goodness on the regular. Just awful Star Trek writers. <clears throat> anyway, she doesn't learn anything except that sometimes your past definitely comes for you. So, um, other characters little league this one up. Some work from the Magnificent Bickersons, but nothing earth-shattering from anybody other than Kira here. And she didn't seem to learn very much, so I only gave it a three.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a Kira show, and she goes through a lot of emotions. Um, helplessness, anger one, indignation, anger two, etc. Yeah. Yep. From 99% of the episode, she's unrepentant about any of her past raids. But then she gives a little speech at the end about how sometimes innocence is an excuse for the guilty. But then <laughs> does that mean she feels guilty or does she mean that she had to ice about 30 innocent Cardassians to get to Gulparak, or or what is it? Yeah, she doesn't. And that she says a lot, but she doesn't explain. That's the big problem with this one. <clears throat> is she's clearly going through it, but we don't ever really get to know what's happening in there. Mm-hmm. We know a lot more about what's happening with her pregnancy than what's happening with her emotions. Yeah,
1: and it's despite the fact that the guy from What's Going On hops out in the beginning and goes,
2: Hey man, what's happening? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the way he does on the song. <clears throat>
2: um, Like you said, everyone else is on Little League duty. Even Odo, who's in a lot of scenes this week. Little yeah. League duty.
1: Yeah, ain't no one doing anything in these scenes.
2: Yeah, so it was uh, just a three for me as well. Well, what about quick ones, then? The quickest of quick ones. Um, Kira and Odo can't get it together on the pronunciation of Letha, or Latha. <laughs> oh, never mind. In this scene, Kira's saying Letha too now. So, <laughs> it's a
1: laundry situation.
2: For some reason, they have Cisco doing a bunch of tech shit in ops this week. And, like, I know that Z is canonically on the runabout right there, but, like, I don't know. Cisco doesn't seem like he's the guy who jumps in I know they don't have any extras because they have way too many regular characters but O'Brien could have been saying that stuff
1: no I gotta tell you he really doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's just gonna fucking pitch in sit down at the
2: console and start getting to work he's probably building a clock or throwing a baseball up and down in the air in his office or something (laughs) um they definitely don't teach rules of acquisition at the academy Worf was on the first Federation ship to see a Ferengi (laughs)
1: It's right, since the
2: Battle of Maxia. Yeah, but they didn't even know that was the Ferengi.
1: No, and also Picard's whole memory of that thing was pretty sketchy. He forgot he had a ship before.
2: When What Worf knew about the Ferengi when he left the Academy was that they maybe ate their business partners.
1: <laughs> it's true, they're all very afraid of the Ferengi in Season 1 and they don't know anything about them. And maybe there's a lesson there.
2: Yeah. Maybe, but, you know, they didn't. They just... Yeah. The lesson they took was stop showing the Ferengi. <laughs> the lesson they showed was just
1: make them, um, make them stereotypes. You know what kind. Get on it.
2: Uh, hey, how do you keep using the transporter after seeing a thing like this? Honestly, talk about Worf. Think of how many
1: transporter things he's seen. Yeah. You've been around the block. Hey, Z is 300 years old. Think how many times she's seen somebody fucking beef it on a transporter pad.
2: Yeah, she was probably one of the people in... Uh, it was probably one of her previous lives was in Earth Space Dock when the other guy she was working with called and said, Enterprise, what well, we got back, didn't live long. That's right. Um, yeah, you hear a noise in your bedroom. Don't call the security guards in. You know, the one who's outside your door. Just grab your phaser and go on it alone. <laughs> Um, is a sinoraptor some kind of Chinese hawk? Do they have those on beige or? Yes, 100%. I thought the same thing. This probe, this hunter probe, just went peeking in all the windows on Deep Space Nine, just from window to window, looking visually for Lupaza and Pharrell.
1: Yeah, I guess it's... What if uh... they
2: weren't in a room with a window?
1: <laughs> if they were on, like, an interior or, like, portion?
2: They were saving water by taking a shower together or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, the yeah. thing would just keep circling? I guess 15 so. 15 years later, Jadzia Dax would be like, there's been a weird thing circling outside the station for... It wasn't yeah, even
1: like matter. the uh, the Hunter Drone in Star Wars that knew knew exactly where to find no. what's-her-name.
2: No, and it, as far as
1: we know, it didn't even have centipedes at all. No, I didn't. They didn't mention it at all. They didn't say, nah, "This is he's got an M.O., it's centipedes again.
2: I thought it would have been great if when Kira tried to beam out of Odo's office, the computer just told her she was out of transporter credits for the rest of the month. and she, <laughs> she You know, those way. site-to-site, unauthorized site-to-site transports must be expensive. She just had to wait there for Odo. It's a
1: bad way to lose your street justice right there. Yeah. Got then she goes sneaking around. Again.
2: Exactly. She goes sneaking around in uh, in this guy Prin's house, but her is just beeping and booping and making the sweeping sounds. It needs a fucking stealth mode Seriously, for when you you're sneaking.
1: Flip the little switch on the side to make that shit shut the fuck up. It's unbelievable you'd be walking around like that. We've, We've seen that before where they've been like trying to do something stealthy and then they just got the usual fucking beefs and boops going off.
2: It just, and also just the constant trilling when you're using a tricorder. <laughs> I would wake up. I'd be like, someone's using a tricorder. Oh, yeah, man. That? I'm a light sleeper. If Someone you had a tricorder on. a fucking on, tricorder, man. On, in the
1: living room and I was back in the master, master bedroom across the hall or whatever, I definitely would have heard that
2: shit. I'd have to get out my tricorder to find out who was using a <laughs> tricorder in my house. <laughs> That's right. I only half remembered that the uh, Makara herbs did something about sedatives, but just from the TV structure of it, you knew it had to be a trick when she asked him to give her a sedative.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, like you. I had forgotten the herbs because who gives a crap? But, yeah, then when she was like, just please uh, have some mercy. Don't cut me open alive or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is all a big trick.
2: We, I mean, we just touched on this in Voyager, but like the episode names for this week, mm. the Voyager one was called Bliss, which mm-hmm.
1: it could have gone away, it could have gone a which, certain direction.
2: Yeah, but also doesn't really describe what's happening in the episode. No, like I uh, guess does the troll say it at already, some point? I mean, maybe
1: the troll says it.
2: Uh, t- TNG is called Unification. Sure. Even though they're perpetually talking about reunification. <laughs> Just they say reunification 400 times and don't say unification once. It's true. And this week they named this episode The Darkness and the Light after this weirdo's freestyle rap that he does.
1: <laughs> it's true the guy we don't even see until the episode's basically over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: And yes. then Kira feels so guilty about this last little trick she does that she does a poem about it, just like he does. <laughs> well,
1: you know, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Uh, both got their demons. Was that her,
2: Dajara? She, is she from the poet cast? Dude, we saw her trying to she make that bird. She is from the cast, isn't she?
1: We saw her trying to make that bird. Whatever, whatever
2: yeah. that is. Um, Hey, it's our boy Degra has the burned up Cardassian here. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Damn. Well, he's all burned up and he's in and out of the shadows in this one. And he's only in the last five minutes. so Good good for that guy. Yeah. And um, here's the Quark Little League report. This week, in order to be in the episode, he had to intercept a pad intended for Kira in a shipment of something. Like the way the guy got the third message to her, despite the fact that he can hack any computer, including the security computer, (laughs) to have this thing deliver the message was he labeled a pad addressed to Kira and <laughs> sent it up in a shipment to Quark, and when Quark looked at it, he he eavesdropped on it, and that's why he's in the episode this week.
1: Yep, and of course she had to have the luck of walking right by while he was doing it. Uh-huh. It's, uh, yeah. They definitely, they're pulling out all the stops to make sure Armin gets into these episodes. I don't know why they don't just, you know, write him into them. Just like, <laughs> Exactly. Just put him in the episode, then he's in the episode. You don't have to make up this bullshit. He could be Kira's little sidekick on this mission. That's right. If he, look, those two don't get to go on many adventures together. Could no, be you hardly ever see
2: them together. Um, Best actor's tough. You kind of want to give it to Kira just because she does the most acting. Yeah. Uh, worst actor, pick one of Dax or Worf in the runabout scene. Oof. Nothing good happening
1: there. Yeah, I wanted that scene over as fast as I possibly could get that done.
2: You got something for me?
1: Uh, yeah, I was excited. Like you said, I said, whoa, Akira episode. It's been a while. Um, I want the backstory of the lady in the replimat eating with those two alien dudes. One was a Euridian, I recognize that. <laughs> Is this a work breakfast? Does she party like Riker... That's a good What's question. the deal? Human, Starfleet, lady. Two Are alien she more dudes. like breakfast? The
2: uh, Riker's doctor from First Contact who <laughs> wants to make love to an alien or in her case two aliens.
1: Two aliens. I'm just saying it was breakfast and I wanted to know what was going on there. And that's it because that's that's how my mind works. No other quick hitters.
2: <laughs> that was that was enough and frankly it was distracting all on its own.
1: I, I did spend the first half of the episode trying to figure out what was happening. We did it, man. That's three episodes worth. I promise. We did it. No yeah, technical yeah, yeah, difficulties. Yeah, yeah. The podcast isn't cursed. If you hear <laughs> someone say it's cursed, then you have our permission to tell them you're an idiot. You should say that because it's not cursed.
2: Well, <laughs> well, the numbers are in. I'm just saying it's not cursed, so don't say that. <laughs> It's not cursed We definitely intended to release Two Star Trek (laughs) episodes in a row At this particular timing. don't look into it
1: This is when we always
2: do the podcast You know, this day The day that this is on Um, the numbers are in Uh, last place this week With 24 points Uh, Deep Space Nine The Darkness and the Light
1: Yeah, they, um, they only dropped 8 points But they dropped all the way to the back of the pack
2: Yeah, um in second place this week with 26 points, Voyager Bliss.
1: Wow. Good for them. Out of the basement. This was really a good chance for them, though. I think they're going to look back at this and realize they blew it. They did blow it. This, was, this week they, was winnable.
2: This week was winnable for them because the winner this week with only 29 points was uh, The Next Generation Unification 2. Uh, 29 is not a great winning score. No, the guy said uh, the, it. You can hear him in the episode. Well, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> Uh, it's not the worst. Uh, I mean, in Week 104, a 28-1. Sure. In Week 103,
0: a 27-1. Yeah, I think that was that's the worst, right? In, in
2: Week 105, a 22-1. Oh, never mind. So that's very bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 20, oh, yeah. 29 we, is not that good. But,
1: you yeah, know. Week 105 was a bad week. We each gave 8.3 points per episode.
2: Yeah, that's quite bad.
1: Oh, we had um, identical this, scores that week. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, that was very, very unusual. Um, this week is remarkable in, in one regard, Matthew. This is the week with the lowest standard deviation among episode scores. They're I mean, I believe They're tightly it. clustered. A Three 24, a 26, and a 29.
1: Yeah, just separated
2: by five points.
1: They, they were all, again, I found them extremely equal. I added a point to unification somewhere while we were talking, but I originally had them all as 12s. Which was surprising well, to me when I was done. Well,
2: I won't go into this, but several points got shaved off of my <laughs> scores. So,
1: especially you Deep read Base nine. When you read the comments and went, oh no, no, that was good.
2: Yeah, I read them and I said, yeah, that wasn't good. What are they doing here? <sighs> next All week.
1: Right. Next week. Well, next week probably a mailbag. Probably. I don't know. Depends on whether or not you think the podcast curse. I don't. Know. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think it's real. So we'll probably be okay.
2: Um, But write in so we have something to talk about, because we don't, currently.
1: Yeah, currently, I don't think anyone's sent us anything. Did I? I might have. No? Okay.
2: I don't even think you did, but maybe. Um, And if, you know, either way, I think we'll probably be back to doing another favorite of mine, Describing Flags. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Get ready for that. We left that
1: one unfinished, and part of me, that was the part that hoped the podcast never came back, so I didn't
2: have to finish that,
1: but I guess we're gonna...
2: But in the theme weeks,
1: man I don't want to do it anymore I just
2: <laughs> I can I say that since uh in the last month we've rewatched the entirety of Last Man on Earth okay. which uses um uh, which uses a lot of kink songs and essentially opens with Ape Man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so Ape Man has been going through Katie's head and the flag theme has been going through my head <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well, I always appreciate Marshon Marjon always sings the podcast version of songs, which I appreciate. <laughs>
2: uh, but in two to five weeks, we'll be back at this Star Trek project. And uh, <laughs> when we do, we will be discussing uh, for the next generation, a matter of time.
1: Could be any of those time episodes. I
2: don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. It's one of the season five ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: for Deep Space Nine, The Begotten.
1: It's... Jesus of the
2: Cosmos again? And you will be describing next week's Voyager episode, Dark Frontier. That In my head, that is one
1: that uh, is a important Voyager episode, but I don't know for sure. Well, we will see. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, you know the deal. We just said it. Send us some mail. We will do a mailbag if you send us mail. Because I don't know if I could have been clear on this. There's no such thing as a curse. All right, so you can be snake bit a little bit. It happens occasionally to some of us, but you know, the idea that there's a, a force or spirit that is in our computers stopping us from making the podcast—that's all. That's baloney. That's um. Don't don't be that guy who believes that. So send us mail. That's at brotherdate on the Twitter machine. Um. You can go to brotherdate.com. dot com. That's where all the good stuff is. That's uh that's where Landrew sits. Uh you can send us an email, brothers of brotherdate.com. That's good. maybe that's a good way to get your mailbag fixed. Maybe send us some audio mail. Um maybe out in a field where it's very windy. Mm-hmm. Or even at home under a comforting blanket, whatever works for you. Um boy, what else? Podcatchers? Those are pretty good. All right, everybody. Um. uh, So as you believe, as you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do, as you believe, believe, so shall shall you you do. do. It's just L cars, just press the L cars over and over again.
2: Just hit buttons and we'll put the boops in after someone has, their whole job is to put the boops in. Don't
1: hit the too many buttons because we don't want to make someone's job too hard. It's actually,
2: it's.